Friday, January the 12th, 2024. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have NFL Super Wild Card Weekend game previews for you with Eric. We're going to talk about all six of this weekend's NFL Super Wild Card Weekend game. That's a mouthful, huh? Then we'll get into some Saturday racing, Gulfstream Park, Best Bets with Barry Spears. I'm going to go over races 5 through 9 at Santa Anita for Saturday, and we finish up with this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Cindy can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing, anything you need in the world of real estate. Visit her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. So we'll go right in that order. NFL, Wild Card Weekend Previews. Then we'll go to Gulfstream Park for Saturday with Barry Spears. We'll move to Santa Anita for Saturday, races 5 through 9. And then we'll talk this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. Eric joins me. We've made it to the playoffs. Eric, I thought some really interesting playoff matchups, just as far as storylines. We can go through each game and and talk about how there's – Dramatic storylines, mainstream narrative stuff to play into it. Couple things on the big picture as we head into the wild card uh, weekend here. We had two different teams that finished last in their division last year, and they're in the playoffs this year. The Texans and the Browns. They both play against each other in this first game that we're going to talk about the the opening game on Saturday. In twenty of the last twenty one years, at least two teams have won their division the season after they missed the playoffs. Happened again this year. The Lions and the Texans both missed the playoffs last year. Both win the division this year. How about the Packers, Rams, and Bucks were all at least three games under 500 at some point this season. It's the first time in history that three different teams all made the playoffs in the same year after being three or more games under 500 at one point. And we have the AFC North as the first division since 1935 to have every single team finish above 500. Some big picture thoughts, news, and notes as we get set to preview all six of these games for Super Wild Card Weekend. We'll be looking at the betting lines here at DRF Sportsbook. Remember, if you're in the state of Iowa, you can sign up now for a DRF Sportsbook account. Eric, uh, two teams will have buys, and that'll be the number one-seeded Baltimore Ravens in the AFC, the number one-seeded San Francisco 49ers in the NFC. Our promo code for all of you in Iowa, still the same, FAST300. That'll get you the uh, the deposit match bonus. Okay, buddy, let's start us off. Cleveland Browns at Houston Texans. This is the Deshaun Watson trade teams here. And yeah. there's no Watson playing. Isn't it funny? How much better this team, the Browns, got after they got rid of Watson. And... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say got rid of, he got hurt. He's not playing, but he, this team was struggling through a lot of the early year, even with their good, good defense, because they really weren't sure what they were going to get from Watson. Now they have Joe Flacco about to be 39 year old Joe Flacco coming off the couch. And he has been, honestly, he's probably playing better than he did the last six years that we saw him play, Eric. It's been really amazing to see. And I mean, that just kind of um, preaches to the genius of Skafanski, how he's able to scheme and get people open and it really doesn't matter 
Absolutely. Playing quarterback. And it kind of makes you think this whole time we've been drilled in our heads, hey, you got to start for the quarterback position. The Browns are kind of against that rule because you look at what they've been able to do. They're maybe mainly centric to their defense. And we all know it's a copycat league. Maybe we'll see teams now not overpay for these quarterbacks, look to get the defensive studs like the Browns have in Miles Garrett, good a good DC and Jim Schwartz and kind of build through that. In terms of this game, you know, we do have a couple of quarterbacks. There's three of them making their first start at a, a in a playoff game against a quarterback who has multiple starts. That is C.J. Stroud, Mason Rudolph, and Tua. Quarterbacks making their first start against a quarterback that has playoff experience, 17 and 35 against a number that's only 32.6%. Something to remember. Now, also, home teams getting two and a half or less, seven and two and one ATS since 2005 in the wild card round. But when they're getting three or less, only nine, eight, and two. So this it's kind of weird. The smaller the number, the more these home teams are covering. Huge experience factor, obviously. And the question when you look at this game, we need to ask yourself is, is this game too big for the upstart Texans who, let's face it, they're ahead of schedule? Are they going to be able to make the plays? Because everyone talks about it. Playoff football is way different. And it's something that can't be explained until you actually experience it. So they're the first team in NFL history to win a division with the rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback who made at least 10 starts. Never happened before. Uh, we've had, we, we've had playoff teams, right? They've teams that have gotten in as a wild card, but never a division winner like this. And you know, you're spot, you're spot on. And you look at the records overall in the playoffs, rookie quarterbacks are four and 11, but that's not even actual as bad as it is because two of those wins came in games when the two rookies were playing each other. So a rookie had to win in those games. And the other two wins came last year from Brock Purdy. So we, it seemed they've been better more recently, but your point is spot on. This is difficult. Um, I'll kind of counter my own and say, you know, last week for them, it was basically a playoff game against Indy, right? They needed to win that game to get in. So they've been in a situation kind of already where they were up for that game. It was a huge game. They couldn't make mistakes, but they're going to be playing against a fantastic defense here. This is going to be a lot different. Yeah. And what I'm doing here is I don't have a side on this. I don't think I'm going to play a side. What I did is I took Amari Cooper over 73 and a half receiving yards. Um, last game, 15 targets, 11 receptions, 265. Texans allow the 10th highest catch rate and to opposing ride receivers and the second highest amongst active playoff teams. Important to note, Texans play the majority of zone coverage. Cooper averages 2.79 yards per route ran against zone coverage. Texans are the worst team in the playoffs defending the deep ball. We've seen Cooper be a field stretcher a little bit. Flacco take some shots down the field with them. Texans are 23rd DVOA defending the pass and 32nd DVOA defending opposing wide receiver ones. They've been stout all year against the run. It was kind of weird that game against the Colts, what Taylor and Moss yeah. both had both exceptional games. I think they're going to be able to throw here. I think this is going to be a big Cooper game. So I'm going to take Amari Cooper over the 73 and a half yards. 
maybe if the Browns get down early and I can get a bet like a plus 105, plus 110 on them to win the game live, I'll look to do that. But in terms of pre-flop action, I'll only take Cooper over the 73 and a half. Yeah, I texted you earlier uh, in the week, right when this game popped up, and and it was at two and a half, and I was able to to catch it right then. And I played the Texans at plus the two and a half, and I sprinkled a little bit on the money line here. Going to go through a few different uh, notes. Also, what I like to see from them last week after that long Colts drive for a field goal, the Texans' first offensive snap of the game, boom, seventy-five yard touchdown pass, and they really leaned on Collins, who had nine catches, one hundred ninety-four yards. He had five first downs and four catches for at least 15 yards. He forced three missed tackles with the ball in his hands. Uh, with the game tied, Stroud completed all seven of his attempts for 82 passing yards to take the lead, go-ahead touchdown drive, end up winning the game there. He was the uh, fifth 4,000-yard passing season for a rookie in NFL history. He had a perfect passer rating on play-action passes last week, going six of seven for 143 yards. Now, this is so funny. 22-year-old Stroud versus about to be 39-year-old Flacco in this game. <laughs> we have guys that are almost half each other's like, age. The in thing here. is, like, are we going to be looking at this in a week and saying, Jesus Christ, did Joe? were we really having Flacco as a favorite here against Stroud, who looks to be like the next legit talent in the NFL? Or, or, or was it as simple as rookie versus a veteran who's been there? Yeah. Right. You know, Flacco's been there. He's done this a million times. This is still going to be brand new for Stroud. Uh, They're two and two. The Texans are against the spread as a home dog this year. Overall, they were the number 12 team in DVOA, 14 offense, number 10 passing, number 30 rushing. You pointed out on their defense where they do struggle is against the pass. They're very good. They were number two defending the run, even with that game where they struggled last week. It's kind of funny because this Browns team, we think about them as a run team, but they haven't been a very good running team this year since Chubb went down. They've had offensive line issues. They've had to start three different tackles, I believe. Uh, They've had to start five different quarterbacks. Uh, To me, it's just amazing that in a season when they started five different quarterbacks, Chubb got hurt, O-line issues, they were actually able to sit their starters in Week 18. They had a playoff spot locked up. That's amazing. That's incredible. Speaks to the brilliance of Stefanski. It is. And you know what I love what you're doing right now? You and I have been hard on Stefanski when he's deserved it. And all year long, we've given him credit when he's deserved it. Because that's what you have to do. Last year and in in prior years, I don't think he – you could sort of tell he didn't like Baker. He didn't Mm -hmm. handle the situation well with him. And there were a lot of times I don't think he put Baker in a spot to succeed. And Baker kind of gave it back to him. And now, look, it's funny. When both of those guys went their separate ways, they both – did very well this year, you know, gave, gave like a very good version of themselves Stefanski, what he did with all these different quarterbacks, Baker, what he was able to do, get in Tampa to the playoffs. Flacco comes out of nowhere. So he plays in four games, five, he plays in five games, 1600 passing yards in five games, but he still hasn't been quite as good as the narrative. A lot of bad decisions or interceptions waiting to be. He had eight interceptions and four fumbles in his five starts, but only one of those fumbles was lost. So they got a little lucky on the fumble luck, which doesn't sustain. Um, in, but a couple guys that you may want to look at. Najoku was also a monster, Eric, uh, with Flacco. Flacco really seemed to to open up Najoku's uh, uh, upside in his ability. 39 targets, 
28 catches and 370 yards in weeks 14 through 17 for Njoku. Uh, incredible. Now, why I'm worried about them on the road with margin. I just pointed out Flacco and some of the turnovers there. They've struggled to run the ball a little bit all year long, and their defense has been much better at home than on the road. In fact, on the road this year, they're 2-5-1 and one against the spread, and they're 1-2 ATS as a road favorite. Some really bad defensive road splits, too, where there were a few games where they just got lit up even a game like a game against the Colts that they won, they allowed a ton of points in that game and tons of yardage. Overall, this team is number eight DVOA, number 28 offense, but the number two defense, number two against the pass, number four against the run. They're really tough overall. Uh, but can they put a little pressure on them? They've lost three different tackles this year. Fun game, Eric. I locked it in at two and a half. You've got Cooper. I'm going to probably look for some Najoku. I'll probably throw him into at least one uh, DFS lineup or two and, you know, give a shout out to Collins. He's one of those guys who he didn't have anything close to a year like this before. And I'm not going to just completely give Stroud all the credit for it on his passing or his receiving grades. You can see he's been very, very good. It, it hasn't been just Stroud. So this team is young and I, I will point out something you always mention. You got to give credit from the top down. You and I, we were wrong about a lot of things this year in our preseason preview. We were right about a lot of things. The Texans were one of them. We were super high right. on them. We were on their overs. I had their adjusted over. I think we even threw some, I know you might have, I threw a little on them, big, big price to win the division. So uh, some teams we struggled with, but felt like this team was going to be, I don't know about here, but definitely ahead of schedule and, now they have they're hosting a playoff game with a legitimate chance to win a playoff game. That's awesome for them with a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. Yeah, it's way ahead of schedule. Great for the town of Houston, which has struggled so much. And, you know, it just kind of shows what happens when you have the right leadership intact. And also, speaking of that, if the Texans would have told Lovey Smith last year, hey, don't play these certain peoples, and they lost that game. They end up with, with Bryce Young instead. Yeah. The whole draft. Well, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe they did have Stroud as their number one. You know, we don't know who they graded as the better quarterback, but it's a potential that Stroud wouldn't be there because they had Young placed higher. They probably wouldn't have made the trade for Will for uh, Will Anderson. So it makes it just kind of shows you how big that game actually was. Are they going to have the offensive and defensive rookie of the year? They very well could. I don't think so, though. I think, I think Puka is actually because of the win. numbers. Yeah, P Puka yeah. Because the num those are the two. Puka and Stroud both have legitimate cases, I think. And then because it seems like um, Carter slowed down a little bit, right? Earlier in the year, it was he was looking more dominant, and he he had some more of the counting stats. But late yeah. in the year, it was more Will Anderson. The other, actually, the guy from the Rams. Played pretty well down the stretch too, Turner. Um, so I, and he's not uh, probably at the level with the other guys, but amazing that this Texans team has a shot to have both of the rookies of the year, offense and defense. Uh, their coach is going to be right in line for coach of the year. Um, and I'm sure their offensive coordinator, he's probably going to be a head coach somewhere next year. Bobby Slowick. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the thing is, is like I was playing around with it last night. There's not many job openings. I thought there'd yeah. be a lot more. Me too. I mean, Me too. 
And and you right. sort of now see that there's still some big names out there right now. And who knows what Belichick's going to do. I think some people will probably wait to see what he's going to do. And then the dominoes may fall after that. As And uh, also like, if the Eagles underachieve, they could make it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Sirianni. Cowboys underachieve. Cow- Cowboys, Cowboys Eagles, Packers. Bills. If those teams were to lose their first game, yeah. that could be something that would happen for them. Oh, easily. easily. Right away. So, you know, if it's just one of those things, like you kind of look at the big thing. I mean, what are the Packers, Chargers, Raiders, Titans, Panthers, Commanders? I mean, that's really a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven open jobs, right? I'm not missing one. I mean, and the Pats already put Mayo in there. Yep. So that's six open jobs. You, you figure, um, oh, the Raiders, too. Did I say Raiders? Yeah, I already said yeah, Raiders. Yeah, you said Raiders. So, and, and then maybe oh. one or two from the playoffs. Yeah, may, maybe. I think maybe one if there's like an early exit they can get For- Belichick. But, I mean, I don't – I mean, the Raiders should retain Pierce. Oh, I think the Titans go. I think the Titans go a slow way because they're trying to become San Francisco East. Yeah, right. you're right. They they could do that. They could do that. That that would make sense for them. Okay, let's move to game two on Saturday. We've got the Dolphins and the Chiefs here. So these two teams, as did the Browns and the Texans, they played a few weeks ago. The Browns and Texans did, but remember, Case Keenum started that game. Um, the Dolphins and the Chiefs played earlier this year in Frankfurt, but this game, Eric. Uh, is supposed to be one of the, if not the coldest game on record in NFL history. Currently, the temperature, when I was looking last night and reading through, the feels-like temperature was supposed to be negative 25 by game time, and it's scheduled to be actually 2 degrees. Love it. Love it. And the Dolphins, just the very basic statistic, They've lost their last 10 games when the temperature is 40 degrees or lower at kickoff. Is two degrees lower than 40? No, it's a little bit of a difference. (laughs) Because I'm one of the biggest drama queens, and I am a wuss when it comes to weather. And we've actually gotten under 40 out here the last couple nights, like 38, 39, which is really chilly, really chilly. But it's going to be two in this game. You kind of feel bad for the Dolphins, though, because it does feel a little bit like last year where they make the playoffs and they're really, really banged up when they get in here. Um, they are, who knows what the health of Waddle will be because Waddle and Mostert both missed last week. Hill is banged up. And those aren't even the, the issues that I, I'm worried about the most. Their defense, Chubb, Phillips, Howard, Van Ginkle, Baker, all either done for the year or badly banged up. And just two weeks ago, their entire offensive line wasn't practicing. And they could be without both of their starting safeties in this game. All of that. That's why this game is, of all of them, probably the one, one of the most difficult for me to make a play in because I do not think the Chiefs should be favored with margin at all based on what they've done this year. But I'm very, very concerned about the overall health of Miami and what things may look like for them if they get down. Because I really got to, I got to give you credit again for this, Eric. You've stood really strong when when you watch film. You, uh, you do this, I do this, but we, you we all have to remember when you watch film, 
you're going to notice things that are different than what the results of games might say. So teams are winning. Sometimes players are racking up stats, but when you're watching film, you and I might be able to, and other people that I follow along and I see how they interpret film. And then I can learn at what people are looking at sometimes. And it really helps me. And you could always watch with Tua that he's doing certain things really well. He gets the ball out of his hand quick. He anticipates. He hits the he he leads guys. He throws them open sometimes. He puts the ball in a great spot. But when you play him m- multiple times, you can start to really know how to defend him and get a feel for him. I thought you would really appreciate this reference. I was reading an, an article from the Ringer and it said uh, all of this about Tua. He has not been great in his biggest games in the NFL where he's gotten beat up. Uh, His chance to make the playoffs in 2021, his chance to clinch it in 2022, and then this year, all of those years, Buffalo twice, Kansas City, Baltimore, not nearly as good. His EPA per dropback since 2002, it gets worse every month of the year, and he's had his lowest success rate in December in all of his years so far. He's great on the first 15 plays of the game, Then the rest of the game, he drops off in yards per dropback, EPA per dropback, and success rate. And this doesn't matter if you're talking home or away. Home games month by month drops to the lowest mark in December as well as his yards per dropback. When the offense is on script, he is performing at MVP levels. When the offense goes off that script and off the first 15 plays, He's actually below average, like slightly below average. Um, This line was the one that I loved, and and it really kind of stands out. The comparison from the guy from the ringer said, he's like a pitcher who only has one or two good pitches. So the first time you face him, he gets you. The second time you face him, you start to size him up. If you face him the third time, you're going to hit a home run because he doesn't throw the ball hard enough or have enough different looks to really beat you over and over. I, it was a fascinating article, and I think it pointed out a lot of the things that you have mentioned about Tua over the last few years. It's not that you don't like Tua. It's not that you have a personal problem with Tua. There are things that you've noticed that will probably be hard for him to sustain at a high level when you get deeper in more important games. This is exactly what that said, and it had all the numbers to – to kind of to frank that point i mean that's whoever wrote wrote that spot on man spot on um in terms of this game two is from hawaii he plays in miami there is a when i look did my notes they said a 43 percent chance of snow right now on weather.com it says 24 percent chance of snow and is going to be negative 11 with a 13 mile per hour wind Wind chills at minus 23. Um, the Dolphins will be without Bradley Chubb and Phillips, their two best pass rushers. Their answer signed Justin Houston's been sitting on the couch. Obviously, that's going to be huge because we've seen Mahomes struggle this year when he gets pressure in his face. I don't think the Dolphins are going to be able to create enough pressure throughout the game to make Mahomes uncomfortable. Also, Miami is 30th. DVOA defending the tight end. One would think this would be a great matchup with Kelsey because what do you do? Do you put Ramsey on Kelsey? If that's the case, 
he can just out physical. So I really don't think they have any answer to guard Kelsey. And if they yep. do, I think it, what will they do? Bracket coverage. And that would just open up everything else. And he so has I, the week off too. His body yeah. should be a little more ready for this. You know, he's, he was banged up all year. He, and in, in his numbers, you look back at his overall season and it's like, wow, he still hit those numbers, but you could see it physically. And he told them last week, Hey, I'm going to take this week off, which I like. I like that. He told them, Hey, I need this. Let me get my body right. And you're, that's exactly the, the matchup I think is going to be really difficult for Miami, especially with the weather. You don't think that they're going to want to attack way down the field as much either with the possible snow and with it being cold. So lots of short stuff to Kelsey. Exactly. So I played the over 56 and a half for um, Kelsey. Now, another big thing you mentioned is obviously Mozart not potentially hurt. Even if he goes, I don't think he's going to be 100%. And this really does hurt the Dolphins offense just because they have been so good running the ball. They're running the ball over five times more per game this year than last year. And I know everyone's high on Achen. Achen's not built to touch the ball 20 20 times rushing. Mozart is, and if he's not able to do that, I don't see a path for Miami being able to win. And also, I know Tyreek Hill, a lot of people love him. Is it just me, or is there any time there's a big play, he's always on the sidelines? Anytime it's a crucial point of the game, he's on the sidelines. How many times this year in a row have we seen him limping off the field, walking off the field? They're not great on third down. I just, they're like most of my notes in this, they're not even incredibly positive KC, but they're just very anti Miami. That's the problem when I was handicapping this game. I just, last week, they got shut out in the second half. They had 47 total yards in that game. Their drives went three and punt, three, uh, four plays, punt, and then that, that punt got returned for a touchdown. Three plays and punt, four plays and interception. They're one in five this year against teams that finished with the winning record. The only team they beat was the Cowboys and they had to go on a game winning drive in that game. They should have lost that game. If Dallas scores on their opening drive, when Pollard doesn't fumble the ball going into the end zone there, they haven't won a playoff game since 2000 and defensively they're number 19 DVOA number 22 versus the pass number 16 versus the rush. I just think this is going to be more of a slow defensive game with the way the weather the weather is. And right now, if they had three or four of their defensive players back with Fangio, then sure, I think they could be more competitive in this game. But unfortunately, they don't have that right now. And on offense, they're probably not going to be able to use their speed. And their speedy guys aren't even 100% healthy right now. Yeah. And, you know... Lotto's coming back from a soft tissue, cold weather and soft tissue doesn't mix well. Same with Tyreek Hill. Um, Tua, you mentioned it. He's only in his career. He's got two wins over a team with a winning record. The Bills last season, you mentioned the Cowboys this season. He just can't win these big games. Does poorly against pressure. I think Chris Jones is going to be living in the backfield. You mentioned the offensive line injuries. Look, I'm never one to lay points here, but I actually took the Chiefs here at minus four. Even at four and a half, I, I think the Chiefs win this game. Right See, what I what I would maybe do in the situation like this, and this that's how I normally play when because I'm I'm not playing the Dolphins at any spot in this. I was trying to figure out do I want to lay it with the Chiefs? I would probably play an adjusted line myself 
just from a value-based standpoint, because I like the Chiefs in this. I'll play the Kelsey prop like you were pointing out. I might even try to adjust this to like 10 and see if we can get it to double digits and just have this be a bigger one because I don't like the matchup for Miami at all in here. And you know what? For as bad as their season has been, the Chiefs were the number five team in DVOA, number eight offense, number eight passing, number 17 rushing. They're the number seven defense, number five against the pass. Um, You know, their offensive line, they've been up and down this year, but only four opponents managed to score more than 20 points against them. They had the second best scoring defense in the league with 17.1 points per game, and they led the league in drop passes this year. They left a lot of meat on the bone. They had Kansas City with all those mistakes. I'm not, that might be who they are. They might be a team that's just a little bit sloppy, but if they play a game or two where they just clean up a few of the penalties, they don't turn the ball over as much because they execute a little more efficiently. This team has a little bit more of a ceiling than they showed in the regular season. So, uh, we're both leaning. Uh, Eric's already got him locked in. I, I'm definitely looking for the best way to play the Chiefs in here. I think I, I think I will for sure play a first half Chiefs in this game, um, and then maybe see how I'll, I'll play it from there. But intriguing as you have the the Tyreek Hill trade teams. You've got these two teams who played each other earlier in the year. Two teams with fantastic offenses, but the way the weather is in this game at only a total of 44. Who knows if we're going to get a uh, big scoring. And that might be the same thing for our next game, Eric, because on Sunday, this game should have 15 mile per hour winds and snow. And the, the total is only 34 for the Steelers at the bills. This number has been bouncing around 10. I did lock it in when it was at 10 on the Pittsburgh side. And, and only because that's a massive, massive number in what could be really bad weather in a game where Pittsburgh could be down by 16, 17, get a garbage time score late, and I could cover this game. Pittsburgh has not actually won a playoff game since 2016. They come off of uh, beating the Ravens last week. Remember, the Ravens had already clinched, though, and they sat a bunch of their players. What I like what we've seen from Pittsburgh recently, they've run the ball well. Najee Harris had 112 yards last week on 26 carries. He's now had back-to-back 100-yard games for the first time in his career. Now the big concern with the Steelers team is the Watt injury. Grade 3 MCL sprain. He was the league leader this year in sacks after getting a couple more against Baltimore. And you just look at this team again, and it's coaching. Tomlin, he's now won 10 games 10 times as a Steelers head coach. Just a few weeks ago, there's all this turmoil they lost to a couple of bad teams in back-to-back weeks. I think the Cardinals and the Patriots. And then you're, you know, they had to get rid of Claypool earlier in the year. Pickens is not doing well. Everyone's talking about how they're probably going to get rid of him. He's angry on the sidelines, talking about how he doesn't want to block for people. And then, boom, they win a few games and they're in the playoffs again. Every time it feels like Tomlin's losing control, he just flips it right back the other way. And Rudolph, he's been a nice surprise for them. He's won three games. He played really well in the first two. Last week, he was not good at all, though. His numbers looked okay. He had a couple fumbles, uh, but he was not making big plays. One pass, that went 71 yards, and he had 152 yards in the game. By far his worst of the three starts this year. But one thing he does do that their other quarterbacks didn't do, he takes deep shots. 
And they, you have to do that. We're seeing the teams that we've talked about so far, Stroud, Flacco. Nowadays, you have to be able to take a deep shot. You don't have to do it over and over and over again, but you have to be able to keep the defenses on their toes. Otherwise, it becomes too easy to defend you. And these coordinators and these coaches are too smart. So that's what's nice about what Rudolph has done. They scored 30 points in weeks 16 and 17, back-to-back times for the first time since weeks 5 and 6 of 2020. And my concern, their defense is a little banged up, but you know what? They're getting back Fitzpatrick, it looks like, from IR and Kazee from suspension. They're just the fifth team in NFL history to win 10-plus games and have a point differential of negative 20 or worse. They're actually the only team this year in the playoffs that has a negative point differential. Talk to us about this game, Eric, Steelers and Bills. Um, So Steelers, 1-10 straight up with no why. Obviously, this goes back to the 32% ATS spread trend that I mentioned with a with a first time playoffs guy getting his first playoff start versus a veteran Mason Rudolph versus Josh Allen the thing with this run the Bills has been on there's only been one game where you kind of sit back and that was the Cowboys game where they just played really well you know what I mean so pardon me kind of feels that they are due for a good game another part of me looks at it like this major weather concerns huge mile per hour wins and I'm going back to that game that New England played at Buffalo where they just ran the ball every play but one. And I look at the Steelers' defense. They give up the most rushing yards per game of the playoff teams remaining, 96.4 yards. You look at their last three games. Edwards, 4.8 yards per carry. Walker, 5.3 yards per carry. Joe Mixon, 3.9 yards per carry. Just kind of looking at that, and then I looked at the trend where – James Cook's rushing attempts ever since Brady took over, they went from 12 attempts a game to 17 attempts a game. He went from averaging 61.5 yards a game to 72.4 yards a game. With all that being said, that took me to play the James Cook over rushing yards of 65 and a half. I just feel with how the wind is going to be, and how the weather is going to be. This is going to be a game that's a ground and pound type game. Both teams leaning on the run. And I just kind of trust the Bills defense to be able to do a better job stopping the run than the Steelers defense just because of no watts there. If I were to play a side, obviously I'd probably take the Steelers. And I'd probably look to take um, the under here just because with how the weather report is going. That's a lot of points, I know, to be scored in that crappy of position. Um so yeah, I'm I'm taking James Cook here over the 65 and a half. In terms of side with the weather, it's really hard for me to get involved in anything. A couple other things to mention. Yeah, I mean it I'm I'm not really high on Pittsburgh to me. It's just a lot about the spot and how big that number is. And you were kind of pointing out a few things about the Bills. You know, they should have lost to the Chargers and the Patriots. They look so bad in those games. They were five and zero down the stretch. They won at Kansas City, Dallas, and Miami. The thing is. Now, they moved the ball well last week, 280 yards, and they went inside the 35-yard line of Miami four times in the first half, but they only had seven points, and they're down by seven. Heading into the fourth quarter, they had five possessions of 50-plus yards and still just seven points. And then they get a punt return touchdown at the start of the fourth quarter to tie it, and it really flipped the game. But 
Allen threw interceptions on their first two drives. He now has 18 on the season. That's a career high. He's been great. I mean, but in week 16 through 18, for example, he's graded quarterback number 21. Seven turnover-worthy plays to go along with seven big-time throws. They just have to clean things up. They dominated that uh, that box score last week. They have a lot of recent drops. They have 24 on the season, 16 drops between weeks 10 through 17. That's what's scary to play this team, needing them to cover by 10. All those turnovers, all those drops, how many times they move the ball, and then for some reason they just get a little stagnant. Um, Their ceiling is so high. I love playing them. Like In a game straight up against the Ravens, I'd probably play them as a dog because I think that would be a game Josh Allen could really get up for, and I, I like them in the getting point situation, but giving, they're just, especially a big number, they're not the type of team I love to play. So, yeah, I'm on the Steelers' side here. Uh, I locked this one in at, at plus 10. The Bills, though, this year at home, 7-1, and one, average margin of victory, 14.8 points per game. But they're only 4-4 four and four against the spread at home. You mentioned James Cooks, the last four games averaging 20 touches a game. Maybe he's someone you look to play, insert into some of your DFS lineups there. Number three overall DVOA this year was the Buffalo Bills. Nine and a half point favorites right now up on DRF Sportsbook. Eric, let's go Packers at the Cowboys. Cowboys are currently a seven point favorite in this game. Over under is 50 and a half. Start us off on this one, uh, Talk to us about how you see this game playing out. Well, first of all, can we just give Matt LaFleur some credit here? There was four teams that didn't have a play, player selected to the Pro Bowl. Panthers, 2-15, and 15, worst record in the league. Patriots, 4-13, second worst record in the league. The Commanders, 4-13, tied for the second worst record in the league. The fourth one was the Packers at 9-8. and eight. The last time that a team made the playoffs had zero Pro Bowlers, was Seattle in 2010. This team is the youngest team in the league and the youngest team in the last six years. Six and two last eight games with wins over the Chiefs and Lions to make the playoffs. Playoff game last week, not the prettiest of game, but got the job done and won it against your rival. His five years in Green Bay, 57 and 56 and 27, 68% win percentage, four playoff experience four playoff appearances and the year that the Packers didn't make it came down to the final game when they lost to the Detroit lions at Sunday night football game. I just think LaFleur doesn't get enough credit amongst people with how good of a coach he is. And that kind of goes into my thought process of this game. When, Cause I'm and not what's really... funny. It's we've, we've seen recently too. I, I'm not going to get into him, but Aaron, uh, some of the specifics about it, but Aaron Rodgers might not have always been the easiest person to coach and to deal with. Yeah. Now we're seeing, Let's and he may of... have gone off script a whole lot, right? Oh, he did. He led the league in audibles when he was there. And let's just kind of look at it. I mean, everyone was saying how the Jets were going to be this team. Jets, shockingly, didn't make the playoffs again. They kept their whole coaching staff, which is going to be a nightmare. They're going to struggle again next year. And now you have the Packers who are in the playoffs, young quarterback, young playmakers around him. Which franchise would you better be? It's amazing when you eliminate Aaron Rodgers from the equation, how much better the situation gets. 
that's all I'm going to say about Aaron Rodgers. In terms of this game, I'm not a big fan of this Cowboys team. I think they're going to have a hard time generating stops. This whole defense is gener- is schemed to generate pressure, and one of the best in the league at avoiding pressure is Jordan Love because of how good his footwork is moving to his right and moving backwards. Also, they can be run on. Any team that has tried to be physical up front with the front line of the Cowboys has had a success. This has been in the, the Cowboys' Achilles heel for the last two years. Packers are going to have a healthy A.J. Dillon. They're going to have Jones. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. And when the Cowboys have the ball, I think the Packers are just going to double CD and just force the rushing game to beat them. And we've talked about it before. Pollard's not a guy that can carry the ball 20 times a game. And they're insanely missing Zeke Elliott. They only rushed for 1,920 yards this season, averaging only 4.1 yards per game. This was their lowest total since 2020. For how bad the Packers' rush defense is, I don't think the Cowboys will be able to generate the ball on the ground. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to attack the, the Packers' real weakness here. They just haven't been a, a good running team all year long. They haven't been proficient running. They're trying to do the short pass stuff early in the year, you know, what they were doing. But I completely agree with you. I, it, but that was a, a main point when I was looking at this matchup. It just doesn't feel like the Cowboys are going to be able to exploit the Packers' main weakness. No, just because... Their run game, run blocking's been offered, and Pollard's not a guy. They're missing Zeke. Um, then I think also a team, when you play the Cowboys, because they do have CD, and let's face it, Z- CD could go off. But if you double him and force the other guys to beat you, I could see a path to winning. Also, with how good the Packers' offense is, their offense is good enough where they can keep up with them. So I think that's important. Um, so just a point on then, what you were saying there. Uh, offense since week 10, the Packers, number four DVOA uh, overall in offense. Since week 11, so eight total games, Jordan Love, graded quarterback, number one. He has 20 big-time throws, seven turnover-worthy plays, 18 touchdowns, and one interception during this stretch, and only three fumbles. So four turnovers in the last eight games, in addition to all of those big-time throws, And you know what? They beat up the Bears a lot more than the scoreboard said last week. They had 432 total yards in that game. The Bears had 192. They had a 7.2 yards per play. The Bears had 4.2. Packers went 7 of 10 on third down. It was a really clean game for them. Only one penalty. The key is, like you said, their defense. In weeks 14 through 16, the Giants scored 24. Tampa scored 34. And Bryce Young and Carolina scored 30 against them. But they have made some adjustments over the last few weeks. They only allowed 19 points over the last two weeks combined and only one touchdown. And that touchdown came when the Vikings had to go seven yards after a muffed punt. They had nine sacks in those two games, nine different players registered at least a half a sack. This is the youngest team in the NFL this year. This is the fifth youngest team since the 1970 merger to make the playoffs. And it doesn't, it's not surprising that they have an up and down year. They're just a young team, Eric. You know, they're going to go up and down. They started two and one, should have been three and oh. Then they lose four in a row. So they're two and five. Then they win three in a row. They're up to six and six and they become the hot, buzzy team. 
and then they lay an egg. They lose back-to-back bad games. Then they flip it around and win three in a row to make the playoffs. So it has been a crazy roller coaster ride. But now I'm looking at them. Okay, their defense the last couple of games has been a little better. Now their quarterback has been excellent. We like we really like their coach and what he's doing with this offense. And they've got a bunch of playmakers. They don't have like a number one wide receiver, but they've got Reed, Wicks, Musgrave, Kraft, Watson, Dobbs. They've got six or seven guys that are yeah. all like top three kind of receivers. And now Aaron Jones is healthy again. Since week 15, he leads the league in rushing. 411 rushing yards. Last week, he had 22 carries for 111 yards. He gained positive EPA on 50% of his carries. That was the highest percentage in a game this year when he's had at least 10 carries. They didn't have a rusher in the first 14 weeks past 100 yards. And Jones has gone over 100 all of the last three games in a row. They just seem like they're coming into this game playing really well, playing really balanced, Eric. I mean, I play. I was able to get seven and a half here, but I'm fine at at seven or over anything on. Uh, but the touchdown or over. Yeah, I got I got seven and a half. Absolutely love it. Um, I know people are going to point out that Dak is 10, 20 and ten, laying seven points or more. But if you take out the Commanders and the Giants, only seven and seven five and one. And then if you just look at the playoffs, he's only one in five ATS. I really think that the Packers have a huge coaching advantage here and LaFleur is going to be able to scheme his way to a win here and put, be able to create better matchups to take advantage. Also, this Cowboys defense plays an insane amount of man and the Packers have just been electric this year against man. I like the Packers here plus a seven and a half. I like it at seven. I'd sprinkle probably a little bit on the money line too. I agree. I'm with you. A uh, couple notes on the Cowboys before we move on. Third straight 12-win season for them. 8-0 this year at home, 6-2 and against the spread, and they've had a monster margin of victory. They've won 16 straight games at home over the last two seasons, but not against very good opponents. Dak got into a nice rhythm last week. Lamb has been awesome. He had 13 catches last week. You know, he's the first player in league history to have seven different games with 11-plus catches in a single season. McCarthy versus his old team. Another thing that you pointed out to me a few years ago, and I've I've noticed this, a lot of these uh, cornerbacks or players in the secondary, safeties, that have a bunch of interceptions, those players get a lot of the, the credit because people see the interception or they'll see a pick six. But a lot of times, those are very boom or bust players. They get those interceptions because they cheat a lot. And they they make a decision. And that's exactly what has happened with Bland. So Bland has five pick sixes this year. He leads the outside corners in lowest EPA allowed as the nearest defender because of those. But he also allows 1.5 yards per coverage snap, which was the worst outside corner with at least 250 cover snaps. So because of the interceptions, the EPA is high. But if you're just grading him on play to play, he's not fantastic. He's someone that you can actually attack and go after. There are some weaknesses on this team too. Um, you know, they are dead last in defensive rushing success rate. The Cowboys dead last. They have allowed 44% of plays this year to be graded successful. So now we know that the Packers have a balanced offense. They're running the ball. Well, 
they could do that with Jones here. Sets up some play action for some deep shots down the field where Love has been really good and they can attack guys like Bland who haven't been as good as some of the the numbers might have suggested. I like this might be my favorite of, of the games this week. Just a strong opinion. I think the Packers are coming into this well. Uh, I like the Packers in here too. I'm with you, Eric. Oh, Eric, how did how did it happen this way? We got to go heads up against each other with the Rammies and the Lions. I thought the Rams were going to be terrible this year. You talked me off the ledge uh, when we did our uh, our preview shows. You said they're going to be better than you think, and they were a lot better. And the Lions had a fantastic year. The Lions, it's just the second 12-win season in franchise history, hosting their first playoff game since 1993. They're in their first playoff game since 2016. They get the monkey off the back. Incredible year. They win the division. And then they got to see their ex, someone they love, Matt Stafford, one of the greatest Lions of all time, has to come back here and play in a home game for the Lions. He never even played in this stadium as a Lion in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I, it breaks my heart to do this. Like, it breaks my heart. Um, we all know how this game's going to end. Stafford, last minute drive to, for a field goal or a touchdown to win it. Um, Lions are one DVOA versus the run. So on paper, it's a, that's a pretty tough matchup for uh, Kendron Williams. He's been great. But let's look how he's done against the other top 10 DVOA rushing defense he's played against. 25 attempts for a buck 14 against the Ravens. 21 attempts for 88 against the Browns. So in both games, averaging four yards a carry, Last three games to close out, averaging 23 attempts, buck 14 on the ground, averaging five yards per game for carry. If the Rams are able to run the ball, this Lions defense is showing us that they can't generate enough stops in the passing game to win a game. And I think the Rams are going to have some success here running the ball with Kyron Williams. Obviously, that's going to open stuff up for Cooper Cup and Puka. Puka. Um This Lion, to me, I know the Lions can score, but playoff football is all about being able to manage defense. And to me, this Lions, and I know everyone likes Aaron Glenn. He's a hot name in terms of coaches. He just, his defense just doesn't generate enough stops. And I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Also, I think that they're 29th um, in EPA per pass play. Yeah. You know, they, they, they rank pretty well in some of the DVOA metrics. They're 13th in defense. They're 16th versus the pass. They're actually really good defending the run. Uh, they're number eight in defensive rushing success rate, number four in defensive EPA allowed, uh, which is funny. They actually have the best rushing success rate, or uh, the best rushing EPA defensively among any of the playoff teams. So that's one of the places they grade well. But it, the, watching it with the eye test, it doesn't match some of the numbers against the better teams, right? You don't see it at all. Um, No. I mean, look, I I play the three and a half. Also, the other thing that just doesn't make sense to me is there's this old saying, don't poke the bear. Why the hell are the Lions not allowing Detroit Lions Matt Stafford jerseys? That makes absolutely zero sense. Who cares? You're still wearing a Lions jersey. You know what I mean? It's not like you're wearing a Rams jersey there. You're still wearing a Detroit Lions jersey. And because – the guy Kelly did Stan. not. The guy was good for you. It, you don't want to be in a situation where he comes out, you cheer him, and then you boo him in the game. But 
you don't want to make it about him or about something other than the game. And then you got this good energy, especially with what happened against the Lions a few weeks against the Cowboys a few weeks ago. There's this really good groundswell for the the Lions. People like them. They want to see them do well. You're right. It's it's kind of a weird thing. And I, as a fan, as a better, I'm frustrated because I actually think both of these two teams are li- like are live, would be live in their next game against the good teams in the NFC. Cause I think both of these two teams match up well from, they have a well built offense that they can score with the 49ers, right? They can go up and down with them. So I'm a little bummed that they run into each other here. And what do we know about Laporta? He's done. He, he's not going to be playing. Like, no. And even no if he, he be playing. that and injury is a multiple week injury. Here's the thing. Sure. Like for everyone saying like, starters should sit i think you got to play your starters at least for a half there and it was a fluke thing i'm always going to be for it playing your starters especially if your team like the lions who are the detroit lions and i'm a lions fan to be sitting out people in a game they haven't done enough you need reps you need to be hot especially the way the game the week before ended with the um with the cowboys um also jared goff's point of view you know he can look to get his revenge but when i look when i look at it and i look at the coaching to me this game is going to be campbell's going to be too aggressive at one point that's going to cost the lines i really think that could happen mcveigh i I, um, what i think if if i I think that does happen i think it will happen next we, I feel like it's got to be against the Cowboys. We're going to get it against the Cowboys. If, if they play the Cowboys, you know there's going to be a spot in the game where that same thing kind of happens, and he has to make a decision or two. And, man, I, I'm with you. Like, it it could be great. In Like, in this particular game, compare the two coaches. Campbell is very aggressive. McVay is not at all. McVay's a really, really conservative coach when it comes to going forward on fourth down. So you could get a bunch of extra possessions, extra downs to work with in a game like this. It could really benefit you or it could flip the other way and it could be the the thing that really impacts the Lions. I don't know if enough people realize what a good year Stafford had this year. He was graded quarterback number seven on the season. He was fantastic at limiting turnover-worthy plays. He had one of the lowest turnover-worthy play percentages in the league. That was something he always struggled at because he's one of those guys who has a great arm. So he'll take some shots, but that's what you want from him. He'll have some turnovers, but you you build it in because he's so good down the field. And this year, he's been really, really clean. They were the number third team offensively in DVOA from weeks 10 through 17. Since week 10, they're averaging 29.9 points per game, and they have games against Cleveland and Baltimore in there and San Francisco, but that was the 49ers' backup, so we don't have to necessarily count that one. The My biggest concern now as a fan of the Rams, their special teams is awful, Eric. That is a real, real concern in good games now. They were 32 DVOA. They made a kicker change. And then their new kicker, they bring in Marr, he misses an extra point. They've missed 16 kicks this year. That's a kick a game between field goals and extra points. That's the most in the league. And then they've allowed 500 punt return yards and two returns for touchdowns. One of them cost them a game against Baltimore, a punt return touchdown in overtime. 
So you're bad at kicking. You're bad at return coverage. And then their return units haven't been very good at all. So example, against the Giants in week 17, they missed two extra points and they allowed a 94-yard punt return in the fourth quarter. And they should have lost that game. If things like that happen in any game for them, they're going to lose. But if they're clean, this team can beat any team. They're that good. Their offense is number seven. They're top 10 in passing and in rushing. Defensively, they're they're below average on a lot of metrics, but they're not awful. Like you can't really gash them. And they do have Aaron Donald still, who will still put a lot of pressure on the quarterback and still draws a lot of attention from opposing defenses. For the Rams this year, they were 5-3-1 and one against the spread on the road. The over went 9-8 and eight in their games. Man, I just want to give the Lions a little more credit again, too. Four different players with 10 scrimmage touchdowns this year. That was the second most by any team in a single season in history. Laporta, Montgomery, Gibbs, St. Brown. You've got two running backs, your tight end, and your wide receiver. All with double-digit touchdowns. That's really, really impressive. And Goff. I mentioned the great year for Stafford. He graded number seven. Goff graded number six. He had a bad stretch of games week 11, 12, and 14. He played poorly in week seven against Baltimore. Other than that, he had a really good year. He had 17 turnover-worthy plays throughout the year, and 10 of those came in four games, those four games that I mentioned, where he just wasn't very good. He was also a little bit unlucky in those games. There were eight drops from wide receivers. The over went 11 and 6 in Lions games this year. They were 5 and 3 against the spread at home. This team scored 30 or more points 9 times this year. And since their 5 game losing streak, last year they're 1 and 6. You know they're 20 and 7 and they have not lost two games in a row. Yeah. That is fantastic. You lose, you get back up for the next week. Really really impressive stuff and Hey, you know, at least one of our teams is moving along. I'm sad yeah. that we're going heads up against each other, but this is the most intriguing game, I think, of the weekend from the storylines, the trade, and just what a, what a good football game it could be. And we see that with the total. It's, it's 51 and a half. Yeah, as a potential to blow out. I mean, I think both these defenses could generate, could struggle to generate some stops. But at the end of the day, you know, Aaron Donald's still there. I think he's going to be able to get home against golf. I trust Raheem. Morris more than I trust Aaron Glenn, and I trust Sean McVay more than I trust Ben Johnson. Also, I did do the player prop. Look, I did Cooper Cup over 68 and a half yards. Cup runs 60% of his routes out of the slot. Lions give up the fifth most yards to opposing slot ride receivers. Lions do run a pass funnel system, which explains them being so good against the run. So the open the middle of the field is open, which explains why they do trouble. Have trouble defending the slot for the all for all opposing wide receivers. Lions gave up the third most yards per game. So obviously, like we talked about, they can be thrown on Cup. Only playing twelve games, second in targets, sixteen percent target share, averaging seven point nine targets per game. I really think I know Puka had a great season, but in games like this. This is what Stafford does is just lean on Cooper Cup. So I'll take him over 68 and a half. And look, as much as it pains me to say this, I'm on, I'm on the Rams plus the three and a half. I got my three and a half. I at three, I'd wait. I think the three and a half will come back up. 
Yeah, the, the key is the number here. At yeah. three and a half, I think it makes this playable. At three, even, I would be okay if you want to play the Rams. If this was under a field goal, I wouldn't I wouldn't play it. I think you need the yeah. three here in what's a really fun game on paper. And this is uh, the Sunday night football game. Let's go to Monday night. So this will be the second year that we've had the Monday night games, right? Did they start? Did they just start last year? It's only been a couple years where we've done these Monday night the first football. One was the Rams against the Cardinals? There we go. A couple years ago, two years yeah. ago, when the Rammies won it. Yeah. So I guess this will be the third year where they're doing the Monday night football playoff games. We have the Eagles. We have the Bucks. This is the fourth straight year that Tampa has made the playoffs. Man, I, I'm giving you a lot of credit this this uh, podcast because again, you had a really good year with some of your previews especially some of the teams that you thought were projected too low, like Tampa. You thought they would be better than they were, and they absolutely were. You were pointing out they have a lot of players still from winning teams, especially on the defense. And then Baker Mayfield came in, and he had some really good highs for them this year. He struggled in spots, but it was a good version of Baker because he had some games where he just toughed it out. He made some nice plays for them. Uh, They started the season 3-1, and So all of a sudden, we thought that they were going to be one of the worst teams, and then we thought they were okay. And then they lose four in a row. So then they're three and five, and they were four and seven. And a four-game win streak from weeks 13 to 16 completely flipped their season. During that stretch, they averaged 28.5 points per game, and Baker had nine touchdowns and just one interception. And the defense allowed only 18.8 points per game. Overall, they won five of their last six but their last two games, they scored only a combined 22 points. Baker's ribs are banged up. He had an ankle injury. He's coming off the worst game of the year last week for him where he actually graded quarterback number 32 on the week. And I think it was it was bad weather. They weren't trying to lose the game. They weren't taking shots. They just wanted to play it safe against Carolina, get off the field, and get into the playoffs. And that's what happened. And I will say, this is a fantastic spot for them to be hosting a home game against the team that comes into the playoffs struggling more than any other team. If you could handpick any of the teams in the playoffs to play, you probably would have picked the Eagles the way they're coming into the playoffs right now. So this Tampa team did lose to the Eagles earlier in the year. and They are 3-5 and five against the spread at home, 1-2 and two against the spread as a home dog, and only 1-5 and five against playoff teams this year. That win came against the Packers a few weeks ago. One key for them, they got to try to run the ball a little bit. They finished with only 87 rushing yards per game, Eric. That was 31st in the league, and they averaged only 3.4 yards per carry. That was 32nd in the league. They went for under 100 yards in 12 games this year rushing, but they are a three-point home dog in here. The Eagles, even with all their struggles, they are a three-point favorite on the road. Talk to us about the Eagles at the Bucks. This game's hard for me because what I heard – is that Mayfield's more banged up than people know. Ankle, legitimately shot. Shoulder, legitimately hurt. If he's not able to throw the ball, this is really going to hurt the Bucks' ability to take advantage of the Eagles' woes of defending the tight end. I was looking at some Kate Octon props and defending Evans and, and um, Godwin. If he can't throw the ball, their passing game's done. And you're going to lean on Rashard White when you've been the worst rushing team this year? So when this is at two and a half, I kind of bought the rumor that Mayfield was banged up. Because obviously if Trask goes last minute, what's this number? Seven? Six? This number is going to completely balloon up just because there's a huge drop from Kyle Trask to um, 
Baker Mayfield. So obviously that's why I locked in the two and a half. Um, in terms of the Eagles, A.J. Brown did not practice yesterday. I don't know about his status today. We're recording this Friday uh, the 12th. And Hurts' finger, not as bad as we thought. He's going to be able to throw the ball. Eagles, no, sorry, the Bucks do give up the second most rushing touchdowns to opposing quarterbacks. Hurts is a great play in terms of DFS just because the Bucks also really do struggle defending opposing wide receivers. I don't know if A.J. Brown is going, but I'm definitely going to be looking at A.J. Brown or Devontae Adams, Devontae Adam, sorry, Devontae Smith receiving yard props over just because of the Bucks' struggle and Hurts not being as banged up as we think. I took the minus two and a half. We saw this last year with the Cowboys. Um, the Cowboys played the Commanders, looked awful, lost the Commanders, went into Tampa Bay and completely boat raced the Bucs to win that game. I think the Eagles are going to win this game big against the Bucs. I don't trust the Bucs secondary. I don't just trust the Bucs front four to be able to generate enough pressure. I think this is a get right spot for the Eagles. I think the Eagles are going to have success running the ball. Bucks defense isn't as good defending the run as they've been in years past. And I mentioned back four, they have given up the fourth most yards to opposing wide receivers. So I think Smith and Brown are going to be able to throw it. Plus this extra day of reps really does like Jalen Hurts. I think the Eagles are able to survive one more week and then we'll lose next week. Yeah, just some uh, notes on the Eagles. I agree with you. This is a stay away game for me too. I don't really have the strongest opinion here. Uh, with the chance to win the division last week, they are playing their starters and they get down 24 nothing. That was just such a weird situation. They couldn't, they needed the Cowboys to lose, and the Cowboys are actually in a tight game early there. They start the season 10 and 1. They're getting some lucky bounces. And in some games, they didn't look incredibly impressive. But here's the difference, though, Eric. We compare them, and a lot of people are doing this to last year's Vikings, right? Um, the difference is through a lot of the metrics with the Eagles they still have been a top third to top half team. Offensively, they've still graded well by a lot of advanced metrics. Defensively is where they've recently gotten really, really bad. And last year, the Vikings, they were just bad all over and every single thing was bouncing their way. I thought there was a, a little bit of a difference, but wow, did things completely flip for the Eagles because since week nine, they're 31st in defensive EPA per play. They So by EPA per play allowed and by success rate, they are the worst defense of teams in the playoffs. Number 29 against the pass, number 29 against the run in DVOA. But they're still number 14 overall. So it does show you that they're not a bad football team. They've just had some holes and some real weaknesses lately. You know about one of them, Eric, Matt Patricia. He's their defensive play caller right now. So based on EPA per play, since he took over, they've been twice as bad as they were earlier in the year. It's like double as bad as they were defensively. They've lost five of their last six, two in a row were the last two were Arizona and Giants. No excuses in that those games. Um Sixth team in NFL history to enter the playoffs, having lost five of their last six. They've trailed for more game time in their last six games than they did in weeks one through 12 combined. This is uh, the fifth worst point differential in NFL history by a team with 11 plus wins. All that being said, all that being said, at three or under, I'd have a hard time not playing the Eagles in this game. 
I really do agree with you and think this is a spot where they get up for it. They play better. And if Baker's not Tampa isn't a hundred, then they're done. Then they're in really big trouble because he needs to be not only a hundred percent, but you need a good Baker game for them for this team to be a good team. If you don't get a good Baker game for them, then like you pointed out, their defense isn't incredible enough like a few years ago to where we can lean on them. Their defense was ranked 14th in DVOA. They're 14th against the pass. They're number eight against the run. So they're fine. They're like a slightly above average defense. Monday Night Football. Eagles, three-point favorite on the road at Tampa. Eric, I didn't even ask you this, but I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. Did you play any futures right now before the playoffs? Or if not, were there any teams that you may look at at a price and think, yeah, you know what? I could I could play them. Is there anything playoff like playoff wide that you took a shot at or or, or what are some of your futures maybe that you're you're leaning on now? The only, the only two futures I have that are still alive are I have the um Browns at 35 to 1 and then I did um I did take the Bills at 50 to 1 when they were 6 and 6. So I have those two going. Um the ones right now that I'd look at um, are all on the NFC side just because I feel I have two on the NFC. Um, Eagles eighteen to one. Um, maybe I'm a homer, but the Lions eighteen well, to see, one. The Rams I think score. what I'm going to do is I think I'm going to play both the Rams and Lions a little bit for the two of them because I actually, like I said, I think the winner of that game can win their next game because they'll both play different teams. If the Lions win, they'll go and probably play the Cowboys. Or they'll host the Packers. So yep. I think that the that they will match up. We just saw them in that game against the Cowboys. They'll really have, uh, you know, get up for that game after everything that happened and all the drama with the two-point conversion and everything. And for the Rams, I've been saying this since the Rams started to play well in kind of the middle of the season where you kind of looked at them and thought, oh, you know what? This team has a shot. They're not going to be scared of the 49ers. They are not. And you know what? For as much as Shanahan has had success against McVay, the 49ers, the Rams beat the 49ers in the playoffs a couple years ago. They had a really good game against them early this year. And that was before Kyron Williams was as big of a part of the offense as he is now. So I, I think that's a sneaky game that the Rams could go in and play really well against the 49ers there. So I think I'm going to play a little on both the Rams and the Lions knowing that I'm going to get one of them through the game and then whomever it is, I like their spot moving forward as a dog. Yeah, I like that. A um, couple fun ones. I'm going to play these ones for small. Wild card weekend, uh, plus 550, Matt Stafford to have the most passing yards. Um, and then I'm also going to take a shot at Cooper Cup, 15-1 to 1, to have the most receiving yards. And then – James Cook nine to one to have the most rushing yards. I was on mute for a second there. Sorry, buddy. Uh, Eric, thanks again, my friend. Really appreciate all the hard work. Another season in the books, but we're already into the playoffs and we've got a lot more NFL to discuss. You and I will be back uh, what, Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern time for NFL betting blitz. And we'll, uh, we'll do a preview and we'll have an idea of some injury news or we'll give you maybe a few other dfs or prop plays there you and i are recording this one a little bit later this week so it's friday 
Oh, uh, you will have your podcast coming out a little bit later on today. Uh, podcast. Yes. Podcast will be coming out a little later, probably around seven o'clock tonight. Thank you so much, my friend. Uh, stay uh, warm over there with your crazy weather and let's crush it this weekend, buddy. Best of luck, my friend. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. Let's have a great NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. Time to talk some more golf stream park on the championship meet as we will be looking at Saturday, January the 13th. We'll go through the card. We'll share our best bets. We're always looking for some prices here. I'm Gina Bacola, and alongside me always is my good friend, Barry Spears, the sniper. Barry, buddy, how are things going for you as we record this on Thursday afternoon? Man, doing great. You know, uh, the health stuff is kind of behind me for now, and you know, the championship meet is ramping up, so I'm all excited. We have a really fun Saturday card to discuss. There's actually no stakes, but it's still one of those excellent Gulfstream Park cards that you would expect right now. Big fields, challenging races, competitive stuff, quality, quality throughout. So, Barry, we are looking at the Gulfstream Championship meet. Like always, we'll dive into those Gulfstream uh, past performances from DRF. Remember, at shop.drf.com, you can get past performances and picks and clocker reports they actually have clocker reports every day for Gulfstream and santa anita so when you need help with some of these races when it's challenging there's some horses that there's a pedigree that you don't know much about and all you have are some works to go off take as much information as you can get with these lightly raced horses the clocker reports are going to really help you out and i believe barry you are going to help everybody out right off the bat on Saturday, right? In race number one, you're going to get things started. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, uh, I, I tried this last week and it almost worked out. Um, you know, it's the same kind of race as it was last week. It's it's a maiden race on the uh, synthetic, a maiden $35,000 claimer for Phillies going five and a half furlongs on the synthetic. Um, and, and there's, you know, you get a lot of horses coming from a lot of different directions in a race like this because it's not a maiden special weight and you get horses dropping down you get horses kind of stepping up or staying at the same level and these are the like the most competitive races you'll see at gulfstream that being said this racer is really no world beaters despite you know the seven scored being the favorite you know this horse hasn't run since september 30th so that 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 automatically puts me in a little bit of of skepticism I landed on number four, Sandwich, for the only reason that this horse is getting a makeover package completely. Um, getting a new rider, uh, getting Lasix for the first time, and switching to synthetic. Getting a class drop, too. Right, and, and the class drop. So so all the elements are there. I mean, you know, you see this horse's first race. It wasn't that bad. Um, this horse was actually bet also in that race, which was a state-bred maiden special weight. So this isn't quite the biggest drop, but it's close. Uh, yeah, it's like a little more. It's a little more than a lateral movement. It's a drop. It's not the full one, but it's definitely it's it's something. Right. Exactly. And you see, this uh, Victor Barbosa Jr. has a really good. He, 
it's kind of cold right now, which is probably helps this horse's price. Um, but he's very good first time Lasix, very good synthetic, and very good when Jaramillo rides. And looking at the rest of this field, I mean, the horses that have experience haven't run all, all that great. Some of them are dropping down like the six problematica who i i took a long look at um but that outfit it, it seems to be awfully cold and if they win they'll probably be a way bigger price than the eight to one morning line and isn't the most likely horse to improve too too dramatically on this takedown but sandwich wedge seems to have um you know all the elements with the makeover package to put this horse right in the thick of it um these, these aren't again these aren't world beaters these aren't you know a whole bunch of main special weight todd pletcher types in this race in fact jose d'angelo has has a couple in here um and this is sort of his lane and he has the favorite but i'm gonna go against him and try number four sandwich to kind of get it done first uh right out the gate and and then see if we can put some money in our pockets Hopefully get you started right off the bat with a nice price. Eight to one on the morning line here in the opener Saturday, January the 13th at Gulfstream Park. A couple weeks out from the big Pegasus Day at Gulfstream Park where they'll have – this is that time of the year now where it's sort of crazy that at this point there's a ra- there was supposed to be a stakes race that I think didn't fill. But it's so strange when you have a card at Gulfstream because they have so many big, big weekends between now and April. It's it's strange when you look at a card on on you know like you do on Saturday and you see wow there's not even one stakes race here. Tampa has three on Saturday, so there'll be some Florida horses running in stakes races there at Tampa. Santa Anita will have five uh, Calbred stakes races on Saturday, and then that Sunshine Sprint that was supposed to run just didn't really end up filling there. So Barry, you said your next is the fifth, fourth or fifth? Yes, sir. Fifth. Okay. Fifth race. Okay. Yeah. You take it over to the fifth and then I'll go uh six, nine and 11. I think you said seven and 11. You'll also have some plays. So set us up race number five. As I get there in these DRF past performances, remember folks, these are the formulator ones that we're looking at. And what's nice about these. It's just so easy to navigate while you're looking, you can click on the replay. Boom. It's right there. You can click on the chart, the pedigree information, trainer statistics, and then you can get a bunch of other stats up here on the top that people probably don't even realize is up here with the jockey stats, the you know, all sorts of post position stuff, tracks, record and time. You can get anything you need. So, so much information here. You can go time form us or classic style. We like the formulator though, because it makes it so easy for us to look around where we, uh, where are we looking in this one, Barry? Yeah, this is a, uh, Optional claimer, 35,000, going a mile on the turf. Um, and, you know, obviously you, you want to start with the morning line favorite and see where you can get this horse beat. And I really, I, I think I even remarked this on one of our shows that running with scissors seems to have kind of lost the step a little bit, even though the horse runs very, very well. Uh, now um, you're eight. Since, since like May of the year. And the struggle... The struggles continued um, with the switch to Gulfstream Park, and I don't think that trend is 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 likely to reverse. I know this horse is probably going to take a lot of money because of the connections. You got Fernando Brew, you got Irad Ortiz, you got eight to five more in line. Everybody's going to try to bet this horse and 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 try to score. But I'm going to go a different direction, um, based on on 
how this race might unfold, I'm going to take number one, Space Launch. And I, I, I think Jose D'Angelo really kind of had his eye on this horse when he claimed him back on December 28th. I, I mean, the horse won as the favorite with IRAD um, at $1.20 on the dollar, which, you know, it's a pretty big favorite. Coming off of that, you look at this, this horse's history. His best races probably came at closer to a mile than they have been going longer. And I think that's the whole point of this horse being in this race. I think the claim was very, very savvy. And I think they have a great opportunity to sit a good trip. Um, Aliyub uh, Johnny is going to go to the lead. And I think this one's just going to park right behind it. Um, the claim was know, savvy, Johnny, not like savvy. Marked... Right. No, well, off savvy. <laughs> it was very savvy. <laughs> but that remains to be seen. We'll, hopefully we'll see that on, on Saturday. But honestly, this horse kind of slips, you know, the post position slips this horse into a good trip. Really um, good trip. Because that how you handicap this race is the same way I looked at it, Barry. The horse who I'm, if I see the 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 horse is actually this price or a little bit above, I might play the seven. I'm I'm thinking that if this horse can sit third, sort of the trip that you're hoping, because he has speed, but he's also shown that he can sit off a little bit. And since he's drawn to the outside with Saez, I'm hoping they can show a little bit. Like look where he sat last time out at Tampa, just like that. Can he sit yeah. third early from the outside, just like he did last time out? I think he could get a, a nice trip in here. It's, it seems like that's the trip that we're looking for, not too far off the lead, but not right on the lead. Right, exactly, because there's there's quite a bit of speed here. I mean, running with scissors could effectively go to lead, but I doubt it. Um, but you got the four is going for sure. Yep, and, and Aliyub Johnny and possibly yep. the three, the great mm-hmm. odds, will have to get involved a little bit early. And, you know, that left me with basically the choice between Smith's Spice, the seven, and then Space Launch. I went with a higher price. Absolutely. And, 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 and you're for sure going to get more of the trip that you think, that we we hope. I don't think the one is going to get caught up on the lead where there are versions of this race where the seven absolutely could go or be forwardly placed. And then all of a sudden, how, how we're both seeing the race I don't, I wouldn't like him as much. That's why I want to make sure he's around five to one, because if he gets bet a little bit, I, there's just too many possibilities that he doesn't get the trip. I'm hoping. Right. And, and honestly, this is the start of the, uh, the turf pick three. So using the one in seven wouldn't really be a no. bad idea. Because, and those things are nice, man. Those pay yeah, really well. Absolutely. And you got two, basically five to one shots that, that you'll zone in on and, and beat a favorite. I mean, when we talk about these things and, and, and especially when we speak about betting, you kind of want to look for value. You don't want to be stuck with, with favorites. I nope. mean, the, the value is there, especially in a race like this, you got to have to take a shot. Absolutely. Uh, because if the, if the favorite beats you, you probably don't want it anyway. <laughs> these are the horses. We're hoping for that same type of trip, the inside and the outside here. We'll take some swings against the chalk as I move to race number six right next door. A couple of strong maiden special weight races on the card at Gulfstream Park on Saturday. The sixth race is a maiden special weight for three-year-olds. They're sprinting in here. I'm going to look at the number two, Bourbon Society, who's making his second start. I want to pull up his debut race. We can watch it here on the replay. So on the replay we're watching, he is the number five, Bourbon Society. And he, at the very beginning, he gets crossed over on 
right off the bat. You can see he gets bumped. The horse to his inside comes out, bumps him a little. He gets crossed over on. He's He backs up. He settles in the fourth spot. He's about three lengths off early on. And then he moves to the inside, and he's not too far out of it here. I, I thought, you know, he's in a nice striking spot after, but he ends up just kind of getting caught in a bad spot down to the inside, you can see. And while the horse is in front of him, Go on with it. Change of command is the number three, who's just going to sit a perfect trip. Watch change of command move through, get the jump on him. He kind of backs up a little bit. He looks a little bit green. Keep in mind, this was also a, a track that was listed as good that day. So he just might not have been getting over it at all times. This two horse runs right by him. You know, now he kicks back into gear and he kind of runs up into a spot where the four is backing up. He has to go around the four and it looks like the twos got him and, and got at least a few lengths on him. But I, I like the fact that in between horses here, once the three draws off, he actually starts to get into a nice stride. He ends up running second in this race. Now he's beaten six lengths, but the horse who's out front, Barry crushing them is a horse named change of command who comes right back to win his next start with an 83 buyer. And we see bourbon society kind of get into it late. He's a little bit green. I thought he ran in spots here and now he has the benefit of that debut race under his belt. Now he's going to get hopefully a fast track. He caught a good track in his debut. He'll get Lasix for the first time. And he showed us that he doesn't have to be too far out of it. I think he can sit in a nice spot down there. I don't think he's going to get bet all that much in this race because, yeah, you have I some, mean, you know, big horses here. Yeah, I, I thought that race was really good because uh, change of command was really well meant. Um, and, and to run against that horse at that time and then land in the spot is definitely a, a plus because, you know, that that experience, that one race experience is, is probably going to do this horse a lot of good running against somebody who's pretty well met for first time out and, and was the best of the rest. These races are tough because you don't have much to go on as far as form, but the little form that you do have with Bourbon Society seems like this is a really good play for second time out six to one on the morning line for bourbon society. One of my Gulfstream Saturday plays here as I believe you are in race number seven for your next play, right, Barry? Absolutely. Um, this is another one. I, I think like last week where I'm going to go to the well again um, with a particular horse. I, I, I think in this spot, we were one race too soon. Um, and the seventh race is a $20,000 non-winners of three going five and a half on the synthetic. Now, with these kind of races, what you'll see is speed actually kind of dominates, which is a little bit kind of opposite from what you'll see, you know, going longer. Avidal Hero, the five, was the horse that I picked last time uh, who ran on December 15th. And if you look at that race, the horse was five wide the whole way around. The, the comment in the form has him five path to the turn, seven path to the lane, no bid. And, and that's pretty accurate. But this horse, you see that workout on January 3rd, which is very, very good and, and kind of atypical for what this horse has been doing, a, a, a little bit faster. The change to Louis Saez, I think, makes all of the difference here because Louis is going to get position. He's not going to be on the lead. You have Flirtini for that, the six and a couple of others that probably would want the lead, including 
the four might want it, and Mo Touring, who's another favorite here. So being on the outside is not the best thing in the world here, but I think the positioning that, that Louis Size is going to want is probably where you're going to, you know, probably be optimal. Because like I remarked before, this horse ran three pretty good races at the same distance back early 2023. I, I just think on the, you know, the, the slight drop and getting this horse a, a different rider who will probably get better positioning makes all the difference. Um, you know, 15 to one seems like a stretch. Uh, I would just with Saez already, get right? Down to half that. Right, exactly. And, and you know, the connections. I mean, uh, Preciado wins a lot of races around the country, yeah. like almost everywhere, especially in the mid-Atlantic. And he does okay at, at Gulfstream, and he does okay with Luis Saez. He doesn't ride him much, but they're, they're one for four with a $3 ROI, which, you know, that's not bad. So whatever horse that he won with was was a pretty decent price. And and I think you're going to get a decent price on Avidal Hero based on that last trip. Um, but I think this horse is more prepared to win now. Avidal Hero 15 to 1 in race number seven for Barry. I'm going to take the baton and move to race number nine. Uh, uh, there's a horse I, in race number eight as we just sort of cross over it quickly. He's a little lower than we mentioned, but I'm going to throw in Typhoon Fury. Some of my exotics, if you like to watch replays, go back and watch his race last time out. Had some legitimate trouble in that one. I think he fits really well in that spot. He scratched out of a race uh, last weekend, I believe, and uh, he, he's pretty live there. But the one who I do want to mention is a big price in race number nine. This horse is actually 15 to one on the morning line. This is another one, Barry. I I'll be a little surprised if he's this price, but I think he's probably going to be between six and 10 to one. And that's probably where he should be. That's the number 10 goes the clown. And uh, this is another horse. So I want to watch the replay because he's only raced one time. And I thought it was a really an educational debut where he could gain a lot out of it. He's the number seven in the race. We're going to watch and he's going to break right with the leaders. He's actually on top at right here. So the problem is five horses to his inside all want to go to the lead. And so he has to take back. Otherwise, he's just going to be parked. So they try to take back with him. And look at where he is in the head on right now. One, two, three, four, five. He's six paths over this horse. And this is in his career debut. And he actually was right on the on the lead. But it, and it's not even that it was a bad decision. You just sort of see how the decision changes what could have happened. They didn't want to be way, way out there and try to probably burn this horse up in his career debut. So instead, you end up getting hooked really wide and you don't really have a chance here. And now he ends up actually running pretty well in this race because even with this really wide trip, he drops back. And with this kind of a trip, you know, right here he's third moving into the contention slightly and then it'll look like he's done right about here when the horse on the outside passes him you feel like oh, okay this horse has got to be done but watch goes the clown now how he kind of comes back on again he's green he tips to the outside of the horse who just ran right by him and now he's making a four wide bid right back up into contention He's still really, really wide. Now this horse comes out and bumps him a little bit here. He's right back up to within about a length. And he ends up finishing a really good third in here, Barry. He's still on the outside battling. These horses from behind, 
they have a little bit more momentum and they didn't have to get hooked as wide as he did. I thought this was a really nice effort from him in that race. And he he didn't get a huge speed figure. And that may be a reason why he doesn't get bet a whole ton in here because some of these other horses have gotten better speed figures in their debut and they're, they come from big barns and big purchase prices. I do think he'll be a fair, fair price in here. Yeah, I, I also think so. And, and you know what that's a sign of, especially in a main race is that the horse is figuring it out, may have figured it out in the middle of that race. Um, when to respond keeping... to your jockey, right? When the jockey says, now let's go. Oh, that's what I was supposed to do. Little things like that. The cues that they're learning mm-hmm. first time they're out on the track. I, uh, It's not easy to debut at six and a half either. It's kind of a, a little tricky, but it does give you more foundation when you move to the mile in the one turn mile right here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think all the elements are there. I, I like the way the horse kind of figured it out in the middle of the race. And it can only kind of springboard that to bigger and better things. You know, this horse is going to improve this next start, no matter what. It's just a matter of how much and, and, and if the horse can get to the winner's circle. But if you're keeping track, everybody out there, Louis Saez should have a great day Saturday. <laughs> yep. He's on all the horses that we like. He's on every one. So come on, Louis. Let's get a big one on Saturday. We both will close out in the 11th. But as we just go to the 11th race number 10 is in the uh that coast to coast pick five on saturday they're gonna have those now every saturday and sunday and those wagers are great because with the one dollar they're difficult you know one dollar minimum and a 15 percent low takeout and they carry over if nobody hits it and on the first day it carried over and i was very frustrated because i had four to five and a second <laughs> in, in the one race that i missed so it is a really fun <sighs> bet and it's it's good. Good. If you're looking at each weekend, it's one of those bets that I think you should make as part of your bankroll to take a swing at because it's worth it. Low takeout, low minute, like no carryovers. I mean, there are carryovers, so no four out of five payments. So it's always going to be nice and uh, juicy payouts. I just wanted to mention that this outside horse is going to take a ton of money in here, socially selective. And she looks nice on paper and I have no knocks on her races, but just keep in mind, She's going to be coming off a, a long layoff. She's going to take a ton of money. And we're going to have to see her go six and a half for the first time. And we don't even really know if she can pass horses. She's only been really right on the lead and never won coming off the pace. And there might be some other speed in here as well to make things a little difficult on her. For sure, a horse like American, of course, is going to go. Wouldn't be shocked to see Sandra D with the inside have to get a little aggressive. You know, shopping for Pharaoh shown speed in some races. We've seen Take Charge Chloe show speed. Lots of horses in this race can show speed. So she would be a horse in this race or in that sequence, Barry, where if you can beat her, that pick five will pay very, very well because a lot of people will probably be singling her. On paper, she does look tough. And maybe she comes back bigger and better than she was before, but she will be an awfully short price in here. Yeah, you touched on something that I really, you know, thought about when looking at this race is that socially selective is not going to get the run of the race like she did their first two starts. And I'm thinking that the other horses in here, the ones that have show speed are probably faster. And, And the fact that you said, you know, like you said, you really don't know if this horse can pass horses and i i'm i'm willing to bet against that in this race 
I mean, there's a ton of speed in here. And I think horses like I like the from a that's the horse probably like. has a better yep. shot absolutely than, than what we're seeing. And my thought is that horse might might yeah, that horse might be probably second choice. And and yep. we'll probably get a good trip. Absolutely. And if you look at her, she's a six-year-old mare who's only raced four times. She had the big gap of almost two years. So she's obviously had some physical issues along the way. She's a horse who's still rounding back into form. She's got some upside even at six because she hasn't been out there on the track very often. And she's still building up fitness right now. I thought her last race was pretty good. It's a little bit deceiving, just the running line here. She, she got beat out of a spot early. And then she was in tight. She had to back off and angle around really wide. Uh, she was a clear-cut second that day. And the winner, Juliet's Rose, who was a gate-to-wire winner, earned an 85 buyer speed figure in winning. So if they go quick, I think she's the one that will honestly, benefit. Honestly, I was going to say, honestly, this looks like a lone closer situation with the five. It I, does. I, you know, everybody else kind of wants to be up front. And they, they want to go. Oh, and up all those pieces. I mean, the only other horse that I could see maybe kind of come off the pace is the huge long shot, the six drum roll. But other than that, everybody's going to look to try to go here. And, and it should be an interesting race. I definitely don't like the favorite. So have at it. <laughs> so let's finish things out in race number 11, my friend. Talk to us about this one. It is a five for a long turf sprint to close out the Saturday card. Kind of like my bread and butter. Um, and and I, I, I do well with these turf sprints. Um, it, it's a lot of the times I center a lot of my bets around races like this because of the fact that you can get prices. Um, people don't like these races. They they shy away from them or they totally misread how it's, it's, it's going to play out. That being said, I'm going to throw one downfield here and go with number three, David's Rose. No way. We're on the same horse. We're on the uh, same one. Wow. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Go ahead. Start yeah, talking I mean, about this David. horse has been running it better. He's been running with better horses. She's been running with better horses since day one. I mean, you look at, at, at the body of work, and she's okay. Um, her turf races at five have been getting better. I know she didn't show it last time. But we can forgive that effort first time off the bench. And it was on January 1st. So, um, so and her last two, uh, so I she's just only think, raced on the turf four times. Yeah. And her last two, she's lost to lone speed winners. And I don't think, you know, right. I like her in this spot because of her versatility, because she can sit off a little and she can pass horses, but she's also got some tactical speed. And here I'm looking at the way this race shapes up with Bossy Diva, probably with three Polks. You have Ivory Moon, you, mm -hmm. you know, you have to the outside, Yamar for sure. Horses like Call Me Spicy and My Lady James might have to be more forwardly placed from out there. I think they're going to be going early. Yeah, it looks like there's going to be a dash for the front. And, you know, this one's going to be the beneficiary of it. Uh, not all this race so happens to be taken off the turf. That is not a bad thing either for this horse. And that's the other reason why I like this horse, because if it gets taken off, I would say they, they would probably hang in there and, and, and take a shot. Probably won't get that 20 to one if, if that does happen. But man, this horse is, is setting up 
to to get the trip of a lifetime here and and I want to be there at 20 to 1 even if it's half that even at 10 to 1 I'm yep. still okay with it Second off the th- three-plus-month break, she can stay close enough to pass horses at five furlongs. We've seen her do it, so we know she can get this trip. She won at five furlongs on the synthetic three starts back. She has a win at five on the turf. Um, as we mentioned, Alvarado was aboard that day, so the last time he was aboard was a win. She took a shot against better in the last, really, couple races. And so if you just eliminate those two, the race that sent her to the bench for a few months, and the race coming off the bench when she faced a tough group and a horse who just broke from the outside and went wire to wire that day, she comes back quickly because she didn't really have to do a whole lot in that race. It was sort of like a workout for her. And I get the rust off, and now she should be a little right. sharper. And, yep. So for yeah, uh, all the elements the, are there. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I do think this horse is going to get bad up a little bit though. Um, but we'll see. I mean, stranger things have happened, and. Uh, might get our price well the fans of uh the tv show i'm not saying a bad word here the tv show shits creek will be out in full force with the ew david <laughs> memes because that's uh david rose i believe from the tv show which was a very good show yes there. and i i hear that quite a bit because uh stephanie my significant other loves that show my Sister, my mom, they'll always do the ew, David, anytime I say or do anything gross. So <laughs> I get that one quite a bit. Uh, David's Rose, a big price for me and Barry to close out the Saturday card at Gulfstream <laughs> Park. We covered uh, a lot of ground in just a short time uh, on, on this one. So hopefully we can help lead you to a few winners on Saturday. Barry, talk to everybody about going in circles, uh, Big Mondays with Chuck, everything you guys have going on. It's a great weekly horse racing. Uh, get the pulse of everything going on. What's been the news? What's been happening? Who said something stupid last week? Uh, you know, one, one of those kind of shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we're we're you know we're we're trying to do a, a new approach. Uh, for 2024, we're gonna have more guests on. Hopefully, we can get Gino on if he's uh, if he has some time. Oh, absolutely, for us. But, anytime, um, man. You know, we're we're gonna try to get more. All right, well, we'll we'll have to set something up. But um, you know, we're gonna have more guests on this year and talk about more you know expansive topics, especially you know more betting and 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 actual horse racing stuff on the track. Um, obviously we're still going to be conscious of what's going on in the industry, you know, across the board, which, which is always a, a great topic. And, and, um, you know, things are looking up where, you know, we got involved a little bit with the game of silks. Um, you know, we'll be doing some stuff, uh, spaces for that and, and, you know, some things here and there. So look out for that. And then our website, we're still going to start ramping things up i know chuck has some some writing that he wants to do and and put out there so definitely keep an eye out for all that but uh things are looking up for 2024 for sure thanks everyone also for tuning in we've seen a a lot of new viewers and listeners coming over the last few weeks and hopefully we've been leading you to some winners here and there barry joins me each and every week for it's been golf stream now but if there are uh big races somewhere else we'll dive in sometimes santa anita oaklawn park tampa they'll have some big days coming up in the next few months and we'll be here talking about them diving into those daily races in the past. spring yeah keeneland in the spring not and that's crazy how quick time 
moves. It's not far away because you always know that that means getting close to the Derby and we're on the road to the Derby right now. The Gulfstream Championship meet will have a couple more Derby preps over the next few months. Anything you need when you're handicapping those races, DRF has you covered with past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports. Uh, Mike Welsh covers Gulfstream Park, as well as some of the others that help out with news, with analysis, with race recaps, with race previews, everything you need there. Remember, if you're also playing the races and you come across a a race of a bunch of first-time starters and you don't have a whole lot to go off of, or maybe a few horses that are coming off of long layoffs and you're curious how they're doing coming into the race, those clocker reports will be a big help for you. And you know uh, who is a big help for me? My friend Barry Spears, who's always helping me out (laughs) and always joining me to try to spend, uh, try to share some knowledge with all of you out there and try to uh, lead you to a few winners. Barry, buddy, let's have a fantastic weekend. I hope you crush it, my friend. Uh, Thank you, too. Barry's such a nice guy. I got a, a present from Barry for my family and for Christmas. That's what we say. We all we get mushy sometimes, but man, it's been a great couple <laughs> of years. We've had a great uh, relationship, a great friendship back and forth. And I, some of the highlight of my week is always uh, the time we sit down and talk some races. So hope we have uh, another good weekend, my friend. Let's let's crush it. Let's kill it. You know, we got to get rid of this seconditis, but uh, it, it's going to happen. We're going to break out. Maybe it's 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 this weekend. Yeah, and we got a few big prices there. So good luck, everyone. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. If you need more help playing the races this weekend, right now I'm always looking at Santa Anita for every day they race. So I'll always have videos of Santa Anita, and um, I'll have segments on my podcast as well if you want to play the races over there. And then for Gulfstream Park, we'll always be looking at at least Saturday. So hope we can uh, we can help you out. And Hope you all have a fantastic weekend. As we say goodbye, we say hello. Joey Cleveland, take us out, my friend, with that rock version of the call to post. The Calabreds get the spotlight on Saturday at Santa Anita. Five California bred stakes races on the card. So let's dive into racing for Saturday, January the 13th at the Santa Anita Classic Meet. DRF has past performances. DRF picks and clocker reports every racing day throughout Santa Anita's meet. So whatever you need, whenever you're going to get ready to handicap the races for Santa Anita, make sure your first stop is at DRF.com. They also have clocker reports available for every racing day at Santa Anita and at Gulfstream Park, two of the major tracks that are running right now over the next few months. Every time you're playing those races, if you need a little bit of help, they've got you covered with clocker reports, Gulfstream and Santa Anita every racing day. So this weekend, the Coast to Coast Pick 5 is a a wager that I'm going to be focusing on most weekends. But this weekend, the races at Santa Anita are races five, six, and seven that are in the coast-to-coast pick five from Santa Anita and Gulfstream. So what I'll do is I'm going to take a look at races five through nine at Santa Anita for Saturday. So if you want to follow along, we're diving into the daily racing form past performances. We're looking at Santa Anita race number five, which is the Cal Cup Oaks. It's a mile on the turf course in here. The five 
Sushi Sticks was probably the horse to beat. She, just based off her turf victory in the debut, I thought it was really good. And then on October the 8th, she faced Open Company in the Grade 3 Surfer Girl. She drew post 10, and she was a bit tough to settle that day. She did end up sitting 7th. She was about 5 lengths off in that race. She just had nowhere to go on the inside. She kept running into traffic. She was a little tough to handle. It was better than the race looks on paper. And if you put a line right through it, her other two races make a whole lot of sense. She faced the boys last time out. So now she's back in with the gals. She faced the boys and open company last time out. And now she's back in with the gals and back in with Calbreds. All of that makes a ton of sense in here. I think she's the horse to hold off. The key is what are we going to do with Grand Slam Smile? This has been an impressive filly, and she beat a couple of her common rivals by seven and a, and a quarter length on November the 3rd. But she's never tried the turf, and she's never gone beyond seven furlongs. So for a horse who might be favored in here, she'll have to deal with turf for the first time. She'll have to deal with the distance for the first time. And she might have to deal with some other early speeds in here. Now, She's pretty versatile. I, it's She's not the type that feels like she has to get caught up in a speed duel. But I don't think she wants to be way, way out of it. So if they're going fast early and she has to sit more than just a few lengths off, she could be in some trouble there. Grand Slam Smile was so impressive a couple starts back, though. Others in here to mention, the two prancing through Paris, that debut win on the turf was very good. And she's flashed ability in all three of her starts since. I my concerns are, is she going to get caught up in a pace battle, though? Stretching out for the first time. I'm going to use the three, or Sweet Candy as well. I like the foundation that she has. Two races going long, both of them against open company. And now she'll shift in and face just Calbreds here. She's proven on the grass and proven going long. Our Sweet Candy will be in the mix for me. I even thought the six was sort of a wild card. This is a horse whose dam won twice on the turf. You can take a look. Hacktivism was a two-time turf winner. And I can see this horse's lone sibling actually won twice on the turf. And one of them was a Calbred stakes race on the turf going one mile. Exactly like this. Won the Silky Sullivan up at Golden Gate, which is a mile turf Calbred stakes race. So one mile on the turf should be right up the alley of recalcitrant here. If you're looking for a big price to throw in, this horse is going to be 15 to one. She's 15 to one on the morning line. She should be a very fair price and she'll at least be part of the early pace. She might be the quickest in here. So I'll end up using five, two, three, nine, six. It would be my next horse on deeper tickets. Those are the five horses that are all in the mix for me. I like the five the most in here. Maybe play a horse to win if we get over five to two. This might even be a spot where on one or two of those pick five tickets, I would single the five sushi sticks here. And then if you wanted to go a little bit deeper on another one, I mentioned the others. Five, two, three, nine, six. That's race five at Santa Anita, the Cal Cup Oaks. Moving to the sixth race. It's a Calbred race. It's a first level allowance, optional 20 claimers going six and a half on the dirt course here. I like the number three, Minister Shane, quite a bit. I think he's a short price that makes a lot of sense in here. So the, the two horses that I'm going to use all over, three and eight. Let's start with Buck Owens because he's a little bit better of a price. If you just focus on his dirt races, they're really good. Last time out, he was third. 
going a mile at Los Alamitos. What do we notice about that race when we look at the chart? The winner, Red Cross Knight, went wire to wire, so there was no passing in that race. Two starts back, Buck Owens lost to a horse named Devil Moon. What do we notice about that race? Devil Moon won wire to wire, gate to wire. There was no passing in that race. And then Devil Moon came back to win the next start. So his last two races, he's lost to gate to wire winners in races where nobody passed. The two races prior to that were on turf. Just cross them out. They're irrelevant here. So look at his last four dirt races. Third, chasing lone speed. Second, chasing a lone speed next out winner. Second, behind Cowboy Mike here on September 24th at Los Alamitos. What do we notice about this race? Basically a wire-to-wire winner. Cowboy Mike sat just off, made an early move to the lead, and there was not much passing in this race. So a lot of these recent races on the dirt, Buck Owens has run well, even in spots where he's chasing lone speed. Look at this one. Tapatio Leo, lone speed, super chief. Second, they run one, two all the way around the track. Buck Owens closes from 10th and the only horse to close into the race. So at six and a half furlongs now in a race where there should be a lot more early speed, this thing should set up really well for him because I'm looking at it and I'm seeing Jam and Eddie draws the rail. I think he's going to be forced a little bit. You have, well, the, the key to the race is... I think with El El Rey Dorado, who wants to be forwardly placed, he wants to go. And then you have the seven bags of gold, bags gold. Between these two horses, bags gold coming out of some quick races, I expect him to be a little bit more forwardly placed. He missed the break last time out. Five, seven, pushing it. Can we get the one to also push the pace a little bit and set up for the two closers that I like, the three and the eight, who I think will both benefit at six and a half furlong. So we'll stack the eight Buck Owens on top. If he's anything over nine to two, we can make a win wager on him. The number three, Minister Shane, right behind. I mean, he's just coming out of some really nice races. He faced open company last time out behind Beef Winslow in that race. And Minister Shane's another one. His three dirt races, he was second behind a gate to wire winner. He chased another gate to wire winner going one mile and the other was right before a six and a half month layoff. Look at his three races chased atomic drop right before a long layoff and then off the bench, chasing a lone speed winner book smart. So these are horses that I'm attacking because I think they keep coming out of races where they didn't have a lot of speed to chase. I'm hoping this one sets up a little different and at six and a half furlongs, it can benefit these horses who are just going to be a little more fit late. After those two, I thought the four crypto ride was kind of a wild card. So I just like Leonard Powell as a, a trainer and with horses like this coming into his barn for the first time. They're in his program. This is a horse who hasn't raced since April, though. So she may need a race or two. He may need a race or two for the correct fitness level. I mentioned jamming uh, Eddie. He's aggressive. He's aggressive sometimes and he can fit well with this group. I just don't know what trip he wants some of the time. So I, I wouldn't completely dismiss him here. Then what do you do with the speed horses? Five and seven. Do you pick one of them or do you use them both? I'm going to try to focus in on the eight and the three in race number six at Santa Anita. Let's go down the hill on the turf course here. We have the Sunshine Millions, Philly and Merritt turf sprint. The two inside horses, both very interesting to me. Rose Maddox is the horse to hold off. She was really impressive beating 
some of these same rivals on October the 14th down the hill. She came from way out of it. They were flying that day, so she got a good trip, but she will come closing. The one Madiha, why I need to use her, she has some real versatility to her. A couple starts back in that race on October the 14th, she was way too far out of it early on. Now, they were flying, but she can be much closer, as you see in all of her races. She's much more tactical. I mean, this is a horse who's fast enough to win the 1,000-yard races at Los Alamitos. So we know she's not a, a stone-cold closer. Can she just navigate a nice trip from the rail in here? I'm using her all over the place. And then the six would be the other one for me, one, two, and six in here. I just don't have any knocks on what Stay and Scam has been doing recently. That turf form overall is fantastic. The six and a half might be a little farther than what she truly wants, but she ran really well at six and a half last time out in a race that's already come back live. She was one of a couple next out winners in there. So I'll give her a good look because I don't think there's that much early speed. You have Chancery Way, who's going to go, and then you've got the four who's going to go, unwritten code. So I feel like those two go, and maybe Stay and Scam just sits right behind him and sits third. I'll end up using the one, two, and six in race number seven at Santa Anita on Saturday. Now I won't have too much to say about the Cal Cup sprint because the Chosen Vron is a grade one winner who is two to five in this race after beating Open Company in the grade one Bring Crosby and was only eight to one in the Breeders' Cup sprint. But he's able to get in this soft spot where he's going to be a heavy, heavy favorite. You also have Brickyard Ride. This is a multiple graded stakes winner. What a Calbred race. You have two graded stakes winners in this race for Calbreds. So just had to mention uh, the classy field that's uh, lined up for race number eight at Santa Anita on Saturday. Let's close it out in the ninth race at Santa Anita. This one is the mile and an eighth unusual heat turf classic. The two horses that are for sure on my radar here are the seven Alagado and the two Carmelita's man. I like Alagado a little bit more though. So let's start with him as he's always a horse who shows up and runs well. He just doesn't win all that often because of his running style. But if you go through his recent races, Alamandares, he finished just behind Alamandares last time out. That runner came back to finish second in the Mathis Mile, a grade two following. And after that, or before that, that was on December the 3rd. On November the 2nd, Alagado was behind a wire-to-wire winner, Tio Magico. The runner-up that day is a horse named Cash Equity, who's also a classy horse, graded stakes placed. We saw just a few starts back in the Del Mar Handicap. So now we're going through all of his recent races, and he's losing to nice horses or in races where there's no early pace. How about SEAL Team? He finished behind SEAL Team in here. SEAL Team came right back to win the Grade 2 Twilight Derby with a 90 buyer speed figure next time out. And I'm I'm focusing on Alligato because I'm looking at the way I think this race will shape up. Let's go from the outside in. You have the 9 Catalina Eddie, who I think is an interesting price horse to use, but he's going to be forwardly placed in here. You have the 6 Silent Heat. He wants to be forwardly placed in here. The 5 Kings River Knight. He wants to be right on the lead or very close. He's stretching back out from six and a half furlongs. You have Bally's Charm. And really with Bally's Charm and Kings River Knight, those are the two. They're major players and they're both really, really fast. So now you throw all of them, four or five possible speeds in here. 
this could be a race that sets up well for the closers like Alagado or Carmelita's man, who actually was the winner of the California Dreamin' just three starts back. And Car- uh, Carmelita's man we saw in this race last year was actually favored and had some trouble and then went on a stretch of races where she was getting he was getting unlucky. He kept getting caught in trouble. We know what what to expect from him. He's a deep closer. If they go fast, he's early, he has a chance. If not, Kings River Knight and those Bally's Charm, they're always going to beat him in smaller fields or in races where they're able to dictate and he doesn't get the trip. But don't let that sway you off of him because once he gets back into a field where it sets up for him, he'll come running. Carmelita's man, 5-1 to one on the morning line. Others uh, in here that makes sense to me. I thought the eight Passarondo, based on running style, he could come running late. The nine Catalina Eddie, who I had just mentioned, and then the five is the, the horse to beat, no doubt about it. Uh, Kings River Knight. There's a look, some of my thoughts on the Saturday card at Santa Anita. Good luck this weekend at Santa Anita. And remember, anytime you're looking at the races at Santa Anita, you've got to go to drf.com for those PPs, clocker reports, and DRF picks. Clocker reports for Santa Anita and Gulfstream every racing day at Santa Anita and Gulfstream. Good luck this weekend on Saturday. And if you need a little help, I went through the Saturday Gulfstream races, some of our best bets with Barry Spears. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, it's it's me, Gino B, is where you follow me. I have that posted as well, so you can get some help with Saturday Gulfstream Park. If you want help with the NFL games for this weekend, we previewed all six of the Super Wild Card Weekend games. Let's have a fantastic weekend, everyone. Good luck. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Oh, it's that time to talk about everything going on in the world of pro wrestling. It's this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper here on That's What G Said podcast. Probably be a little quicker today. As we don't really have any big, big shows coming up this weekend, but we are on the road to the Royal Rumble. We're building to Sting's final match in AEW, NXT. We're mucking the stalls with Tiffany Strat. (laughs) And uh, WWE is really firing on all cylinders right now, Coop. As we look back to last week in SmackDown, I wanted to pick out a few things that I thought were really good on the show. Uh, we had Kevin Owens versus Santos Escobar, and KO gets the win in the U.S. title number one contenders tournament. So Kevin Owens will have a match against Logan Paul at the Royal Rumble for the U.S. title. Uh, good match between KO and Santos. I like the pairings now that we have with uh, with Santos, and we saw you know some of his uh, his others, and we saw. Garza and Carrillo last week come and help him and I'm really looking forward to the Logan Paul KO interactions that we're going to get out of this and I think Kevin Owens could win the belt I really do I'm not positive what direction they want to go for mania but if they that would not shock me at all he's a totally legitimate 
guy to win it and maybe they have him defended against someone or they go in a different direction and Logan Paul can be defending it at Mania. Yeah, a couple of good points there. Uh, it was nice to see Logan Paul in attendance last Friday as well on SmackDown. He was at the announcer's table. Um, <clears throat> really good match. Fantastic match. Uh, you wouldn't expect anything less between Santos and KO. Uh, you kind of had a feeling that Santos is his, since he's gone full-fledged heel, um, I, you know, where <clears throat> he's kind of in the holding pattern there because his beef was with Ray. And I, I, I unless you know otherwise, I, I don't know if Ray is going to be back in time for, for WrestleMania or not with the, the severity of injury he had. But I would like to see Santos and Ray finish out sooner or later. But and maybe, Ray, and, maybe we get something where Ray <clears throat> brings in Andrade. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of uh, that's one of the things to do is get Andrade back. I think for all we saw the burial, the final match of Andrade a couple of weekends ago at AEW at their paper uh, pay per view. Um, that would be super. You talk about a match at WrestleMania weekend that uh, could go twenty or thirty minutes. Those guys would would tear the roof off the place. Uh, yeah, I look uh, Logan Paul has been someone that is just, we've talked about on here from the days of previous Royal Rumbles, previous WrestleManias, the WrestleMania roundtables we had with others. And of all guys, uh, you look on a WrestleMania card roster and you go, man, I'm a little concerned about Logan Paul doing this match, or I'm really concerned about this person doing this match. And he was the one that, uh, you know, it's a top three or four that stood out. Just an incredible athlete. Call it what you want. Um, I don't like his brother. I really don't like him, but you know what? He brings views and he and KO are going to have an interesting match. Um, I, I, and I I can say, just like you said, I can say that I personally don't like him, but he's a very good, he's a very good pro wrestler, you know, and and that's, he does a good job as a heel of making me not like him. I'm not like, I'm not into guys or gals or people who play characters in real life, you know, as like they have a gimmick sure, sure. in real life, you know, like that bothers me because I never know if someone's telling the truth or not. We get that with the talking heads on ESPN. A lot of the times, you know, they're yelling and screaming sure. at each other. One person takes one side, the other takes the other side. You don't know if anybody really feels that way or if they didn't even told you anything that was worth it. But so I, I'm not like Logan's such a troll in real life. A lot of the time, but that works in pro wrestling, you know, he, him yeah, being a yeah. bad guy pro wrestler, it works. And for all the same reasons in life where I roll my eyes and go, oh, I want to see him get his ass kicked. Sure. So, <laughs> sure. So. And you know what? KO is, is as, as great as he is, as in-ring. We know his ability to uh, sell a story. Uh, his, his mic work is fantastic. Uh, again, just uh, <clears throat> some of these guys, it's just not too long ago. You know, him and Sami Zayn were the WWE World Tag Team Champions, and then they something fell flat. We had some injuries. KO was hurt. Uh, Sami's getting back to to making another run here. Sami's gonna sneak. Sami's gonna come sneaky at the Rumble when people because you know, oh yeah, and he's gonna Absolutely. get Drew. He's gonna get Drew at that Rumble. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I think so. After what we saw on Monday, it's it seemed yeah. too easy. Drew and then Punk said, "No, I'm gonna throw you out last." So everyone started saying, oh, it's going to be Punk and Drew, the final two. I'd love to see Sammy get Drew out before that, you know, just that. So I, 
KO in a good spot here. KO versus Logan at the Rumble. So, uh, one thing where I want to mention a positive and a negative. Positive. I like the stable and the pairing of Karrion Cross with the sure. Authors of Pain and Scarlet. Because to me, Karrion Cross, where he struggles the most is in ring. It's not that he's bad. He's just fine in ring. He's not blow away. But his character work and the stuff with Star- with Scarlet, and even on the mic, I think he has a good presence, a good feel. He could be a really good quasi-leader of this faction. Paul Ellering's there with them. I don't know how much Paul Ellering's going to go on the road and travel all over. So maybe it's more like, you know, Cross as the leader with the AOP standing beside him, and you have Scarlet there to complete the package. It makes him feel more imposing all of a sudden if he goes down to the ring and he's in a match and those guys are standing outside. And you had a group of people who have been doing nothing, and now all of a sudden, I'm a little bit intrigued. I'm not positive this is going to hit, but I like this more than what all of these people were doing a week ago. Yeah, um, and what a lot of people may not also know is, and <clears throat> digging into the fact when when WWE came to uh, Beaumont, where I uh, work and live here in Southeast Texas, just outside of Houston, Carrying um, Cross is one of these people that you just instantly want a dog. And it's because of the presentation, what they did. You know, we've been through that. With NXT, they brought him up as NXT champion. Then McMahon, what, buried him four or five weeks in a row with just bizarre antics. What you may not know about Karrion Cross also is outside the ring, what a great individual he has become. Um, good human being. Organization. Just, just really, really good. So um, I'm tying that into... Back in the day, WWE, if 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 your first little uh, storyline or your gimmick or character change being brought up or brought in didn't work, brother, you're opening house shows, you're curtain jerking on, yep. on the road, and you're not getting TV time. So it's really, really a, a breath of fresh air to see uh, WWE superstars not get um, – This is a Triple H thing. This is a Triple H thing. Absolutely, 100%. He now, likes these guys and be, gals, and he wants to find be, a way for them – to to for them to show the talent that he knows they have. Now it's interesting that Paul Ellering is back. AOP apparently has been under you know contract for a while. Um, now I'm anxious to hear, and I think I know which direction you're going in. <clears throat> what did you not like about this segment? Did you well, not? I don't like know what the hell is going Lashley on with Lashley Profits? and the Street Profits exactly. Like yeah, what? Because- yeah. What are they? Am I supposed to cheer yeah. them with them? What's different? What have they done in the last eight months? Not, it was they, odd. It, it, they they yeah, haven't it, it had was a odd few because or Montez was making like weird faces too behind Bobby when he would. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah. I'm not saying that's that's any sign or anything. I was the same, you know, Bobby, they 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 teased him turning heel, and I think everyone was ready to accept that. And then all of a sudden, Bobby becomes this massive organic baby face again, and all these shows, and they're, they're just cheering him, and, and he's high fiving yeah, people yeah, on weird. the way to the ring. I don't, I do not know what they're doing with them. They don't. They haven't told me. I'm. Am I supposed to cheer them? Am I supposed to boo them? They haven't put them put them in a feud with anyone in months. They haven't given them anything to do other than to walk out there to talk but they don't even have anyone or anything to talk about. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's like they 
they're just spinning their wheels. I'd love for these guys to, and, and maybe now they will. Maybe there will be a feud now so we can at least have a back and forth. I've been very so disappointed. Do you, think we'll get, do you think we get a six man at the Rumble or no? Or at at least TV on match. SmackDown, you know, coming okay. up in the next week or two, I think we'll get that because we we need more from these guys. It feels like they're just wasted. They're being wasted right now. Use these guys. We yeah. talked about Montez last year. We thought he was going to win the money in the bank. He almost did. I know, right. So we yeah. we know how high this guy can go, what his ceiling is. Lashley's the same thing. And the thing about Lashley, what is he, like 46? 40? <laughs> yeah, he's he he's yeah. old, right? I mean, he looks amazing. He's still in fantastic shape. My point is more that you, you're not waiting for next year for Lashley. You know, like, go with him right now. Make him a, a focal part of something. Insert him somewhere with the Street Profits, too. And um, that that was a bummer. Going to give a lot of credit, man. I thought Meechin and EO had an awesome match. And it felt like one it of those was. matches where Meechin went to to kind of prove and show everyone, hey, remember, I can go. I'm I'm a badass. And I just wanted to give them some credit. I thought it was a really good match. Yeah, Um you get ready to write off some of these guys and girls and Meechan is one of them. It's a character. She was what with the, uh, the good brothers, she stuck, uh, she got uh, put with the good brothers. Um, then she's kind of, you know, flopped around a little bit, so to speak. And then you come out, have a banger of this type of match again, SmackDown, uh, you know, for what it's worth, we're like a broken record. It's, it's been the absolute, well, Raw has been very, very consistent as well. But throughout the years, this, especially since SmackDown went over to Fox uh, National, it's been the most consistent for really good wrestling-heavy uh, programming. And just when you're ready to give up on someone, it's like, oh, why is Minchin getting a title shot? What was even going on? It becomes very, very intriguing because she tells you uh, quickly, hey, don't forget about me. I'm a really good wrestler. And they put on a really good match. They did. It's very intriguing what's going to happen with damage control. And you I think Bailey's got a big shot to win Bayley. the Rumble. Bailey's yeah, got I a think big so shot. Too, and I think she does. And I think she needs to win the Royal Rumble. Me too. And then we can get a more organic babyface turn for her where she can do the I'm going to go after you. Instead, I'm going to pick you, EO, because what I haven't wanted, I didn't want the group to kick Bailey out. No, and then, no, no, And no, then no. for us, yeah. all of a sudden, that, that's what happened with Rollins, with uh, with the authority. You know, Rollins gets dropped by the authority, and then all of a sudden we're supposed to root for him? Like, huh? I, I hate that. I need to see the baby face, the one that says, I'm, I'm sorry, or I'm coming after you, or I, it was my fault. And I think now we may be able to get that with Bailey, and she may be able to get back to being a. Because now, if she goes babyface again, she can have a little more. I don't want to say edge to her, uh, her her character, but her character can be instead of just being hi, I'm Bailey and waving. She can be jokey and corny. Yeah. You know sure. the way that she jokes now as a heel, she can just do some of that as a babyface, and it'll almost be like that. That Bailey hugger character has elevated. I think she can be a massive star again as the baby face. And I, I think we're going to get there at Mania. I think they're going to give yeah, her I think so too. sort of <laughs> like a, an achievement. Hey, you've done a really good job the last couple of years. You know, you did a great job for us during COVID. Uh, we want to give you a big, a big spot here. And I, yeah, I think- was, and with Charlotte out, 
this this is perfect timing. Yep. Perfect timing for Bailey. Totally agree. And I think you find someone for Bianca to have a grudge match with. I think you yeah. can find that. You you find someone else or Bianca has a match on the show. You know, is it Bianca versus, you know, one of these others, maybe not for a title, because I, I think you want Bailey in this title picture. And I think on the other show, it's going to be something we'll talk about maybe Naya in the mix with Rhea, mm-hmm. Becky. I think the three of them all have possibilities. But uh, really good SmackDown again. And we end with the th- three way. And WWE makes a decision here that is really interesting for all the podcasts and all the shows to talk about. Because now, with there being a fatal four way at the Royal Rumble, they can have Roman Reigns lose the title without ever getting pinned. They can have uh-huh. Roman Reigns and The Rock have a match at WrestleMania without the title. Then they can have Cody finish his story. He can win the title. Nobody said it had to be from Roman Reigns. He just, his story is winning the title. He could win the title from a Randy Orton, who would also have a story. And then we could have a CM Punk, Seth Rollins. Those would be your three top matches. That would be huge matches. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what Rock's schedule is. Maybe The Rock can only wrestle in Australia, in Perth. Maybe they're dead set on having Rock versus Roman there. And then... They go Roman versus Cody. Maybe they have Rock for a few months. They have Rock lose to Roman, but then they have something else for the Rock at WrestleMania. Maybe it's the Rock and LA Knight versus the uh, the you know one of the Usos in Solo. You know Jimmy in Solo. I don't know, but now all of a sudden, just by making this a four way, they've opened up a hell of a lot of possibilities in the next few months. <laughs> Yeah, this is like, uh, remember the old uh, Choose Your Own Adventure book? It's exactly what it is. About his kids, yep. right? <clears throat> you know, I, I you mentioned it last week. I think it's uh, it was too early to feed Randy Orton to Roman Reigns right out of the gate. Um, we knew uh, Randy probably was not going to win that title at, at Royal Rumble, um, so it would be a shenanigan finish. Now you can go all different kind of directions with it. Roman could keep it. Um, he and Rock. Uh, you could have Orton beat Styles. Uh, I would be shocked if LA Knight came out of that match with the title. Me but, too. Yeah, yeah. No, not uh, right look, now. It, I just, we've been saying this for how long? I mean, seriously, how long have we been saying the ultimate WWE match is the Rock versus Roman Reigns? Pre-COVID, I know that. You know, I I remember discussing it in 2019 with you. 18. Well, ever since The yes. Rock came out and tried to get Roman over at the Rumble. I mean, honestly, since then, people have been talking about it. When The Rock came out and the crowd was booing The Rock because he was holding up Roman Reigns' hand after and, the Royal and, Rumble. And as much as we are invested in having Cody Rhodes back, and finishing the story and not being able, you know, we were told what last year at Mania, um, this is the first quarter, first half, or whatever, whatever it was. Uh, you cannot, you cannot not say, well, we've got to finish the story because uh, we just have to now because that's what the fans want and it'd be the right thing, even though we have Rock Roman. I don't know what they're going to do. I, I don't. I do think, uh, I, I don't know how. Workish, they're working us with The Rock coming over and saying that. But I didn't take that lightly as of 
Well, no, oh, Paul Heyman had and Paul Heyman cut a promo on it on Sunday. Yeah, he did. I mean, on Friday. Yeah. You know, he so yeah. he he completely addressed it. I mean, where we are sitting right now on January the 11th, recording this, I'm I'm saying like there's I think there's a Rock Roman match. I just don't know when and where it is. Yeah. Now, like you said, Elimination Chamber, people are going to complain. WrestleMania, people are going to complain about it. But it's one thing that you have to do. And I'll tell you, SmackDown had a massive rating, 2.6 million, just insane numbers. And just when you think the bloodline has run its course and Roman's been off of TV, he comes right back. There's The Rock. And we're on, you know, we're on cloud nine again. It it is... uh, it's intriguing what the bloodline storyline has done for, for professional wrestling. And it has to be probably number one or two all time storyline in, in, yeah. in WWE history. It's just amazing what they can do. But if you can pull the rock Roman reigns off at WrestleMania, you got to do it with, with or without title, you have to do it. And if they it, look, if he loses that title at the Royal rumble, and he doesn't walk out of there with that match. Uh, we'll know that's the that's the likely direction. Oh yeah, if if Roman doesn't walk out with the title, that's Rock Roman at Mania for sure. That's absolutely that's the, that's the reason why. And now it's it's it and you know from, what that puts that could put Roman in the elimination chamber match too, and he still I, doesn't win that. It, it this is just great storytelling. <laughs> even even if is. Roman walks right back out with that title, them inserting those two other guys for us to think. Oh my gosh, now Roman can lose and not even get pinned. Like now this is a sure. real possibility. And as I mentioned to you, what they've done, it's a good job. They've kept Kevin Owens, LA Knight, Randy Orton all out of the Royal Rumble now. In a good way, meaning those are guys that the fans would have been cheering for. A lot of people would have wanted them to win or to have long runs. And if if that's not the plan, if you know it's going to be Cody and and CM Punk towards the end, and you want those two guys, you want them to be your Bret Hart and your Lex Luger, 1994 Royal Rumble. Those are the two guys you want everyone to kind of pick. Are you on side Cody or are you on side Punk? I don't think they want a bunch of other baby faces in there kind of taking some of that energy. I think they're going to stack the heels at the end, the Drews and guys like that along with them, and that leads us right to Monday Night Raw where we opened up. This might have been Drew McIntyre's it, it was. It may not have been his best. It might have been my favorite promo segment that he's ever done. He cut some good ones when he was the champ, or to set up matches before the Re- the Roman Reigns match. He's cut some good promos, you know, especially real believable ones. This was awesome. Drew opens the show. He basically says, "I had this match one last week." Priest, what the hell are you doing? Why would you cash it in in the middle of the match? Wait till after when I'm more weakened and then you have a better chance at beating me, you idiot. You screwed the both of us. It was like the most logical thing anyone's ever said in a wrestling ring. I loved it. (laughs) I loved it. It Common sense. Real life is what Gino calls it, right? Exactly. (laughs) Man, I, I thought that was great. He starts going through, you know, it was my own fault. I pulled Seth's foot right up on the rope. And then I screwed myself over. Um, and then he, you know, he kind of gets at it at the fans a little while. Said, I got to get my head on straight. Maybe I need to step away from WWE. Uh, he said, you know what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to get in the Royal Rumble. Uh, he, he complained about Priest, Seth, 
Sammy J. Uso moving to Raw, Cody's <laughs> magical political powers, CM Punk oh, returning great. with wide open arms. I love the magical After nine power. years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what was great about this, uh, and I got to give another plug for my guy within about three minutes. This is Bret Hart 1997. This is Bret yeah. Hart yeah. when he did get screwed, and you're listening to him talk. And while it's annoying, stop me when Drew says something that's a lie. You know, everything he <laughs> said is true. It's just the way he says it is is a heel way. But this is a fascinating character of Drew. And then Punk comes out and Punk interrupts him. And he said, you, you know, Drew told Punk, I needed a locker room leader and you weren't here for me. You yeah, weren't you're there in a dark I- place, pal. And he mentions because drug, Drew had drug problems, and he said, you know, I got through all of those. He said, you were straight edge. You didn't have any demons. I just let – all of this was great. I thought it was fantastic. Punk, then he kind of flipped it around and said, I watched you leave, come back, win the Rumble, main event WrestleMania, win the title. <laughs> you did everything that I couldn't do. So now I want to be like you. But I'm Yeah, like, you that know, was great. I thought it was just – Two weeks ago, I would have said, "Yeah, okay, Drew." This and makes Punk. this one. Yeah, this would like, make what, sense. What? I, they're both good, but how are? How, why am I going to care about it? Right? What? Boom! One one night of the two of them in the ring like this. This is a top three Punk match. I want to see now. Yeah, it's. Yeah, that, would, would Punk telling me, "Hey, man, if you want to join the Straight Edge Society, just that shave so that good. head right now, man. Shave your head, and <laughs> you can bow allegiance to me right now." It was. <laughs> it was but man. the but the best the best was you know the lying you know I but since I, you know I'm not gonna knock your teeth knock your teeth out or down your throat. He said, uh, uh, I, "I'm nobody's gonna stop him from winning the Rumble. Not McIntyre, not Rollins, not Cody. But since I'm a nice guy." In the Royal Rumble, I'm going to throw you out last. That was just, That's I started just la- freaking, smiling. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's just great. Just great work. By I had both the of Grinch them. kind of smile when he did that. You know, it just, my smile yeah. just went, Whoop, and it, <laughs> I want to see these two guys go. Drew, Drew is, it's a bummer that it, he's it, lost a few of these matches recently because this is the best character and version of Drew I can remember. He's so it's better than that that freaking sword being, you know, what was it, Angela? <laughs> Angela or whatever it was, <laughs> you know, and it and it's uh yeah, you nailed it with the Bret Hart comparison. This is you know, you get tired of hearing this guy crying complaining. It sounds like he's whining, day, but you listen yeah. to what he's saying and it's like ah oh, that, that again this is oh. where this is where AEW dropped the ball with punk. He doesn't need to be wrestling every week. No. This is what you do with superstars like this at this time in their career. And it's compelling. Now it just adds another layer into the Royal Rumble match itself, right? With these it's, two in there. So it's just fantastic stuff. And he uh Drew said, you know, I when when I won last time, I did it for the world. The world needed it. The world stopped. We needed yeah. to keep going. Yeah. The locker room needed he it. Was the right. the he back. was right. He is. It was that. It gave me goosebumps when he said that. He said, I wasn't doing it for me. There was nobody in the stands, but I was doing it for everybody else. He said, this year, I'm doing it for me. It was. Love it. So good. Love it. So freaking good. We, uh, 
Oh my God, our truth on this show. Oh my God, our truth. <laughs> our truth. He's got a video, a video of him inserted into all these big moments of the Judgment Day. He said, <laughs> "What he say? Like I wanted to be in the Judgment Day since I was a kid." You know, he's, about, <laughs> he's got him in the back when Rhea Ripley won the Rumble, you know, and they weren't even a judgment day that it, it was so good, so good. And I was talking with Andrew Champagne about this their day right now. I don't think they're going to do it because I actually think they might do something with the Miz and him with the tag titles. I really do. I swear if they did something. Where our truth got the briefcase and won the title for like one day. <laughs> I don't think the crowd would hate it right now. I really don't. <laughs> the, the problem is it would need to be at a time where there was like a JBL, right? Or a gender oh, or something yeah. that the crowd yeah. really, the crowd hey, like. Hold up. Oh. Hey, watch out. Watch out. No, and, watch, and we're going to talk I, about what, gender what, in a second. But watch just, how you I, say I mean, his name. I mean, the character that the crowd wants to be. Yeah, no, I got you. you know? Sure. Because sure, right sure, now, sure. if you were to have R Truth beat Seth Rollins or something, I, the crowd wouldn't really love it as much because the crowd likes Seth. But if there was just a crazy heel and R Truth came walking down the ring with that briefcase, you know, the crowd would love And he was looking around, what am I supposed to do with it? You know, and then he actually, oh, and he gives it that it, it, just for one night. And then he loses it the next night as sort of a, you know, as a, a callback to the 24-7 title or something. This guy's as <laughs> over as he's he's ever been. He is. And That's I insane. really I really think right now they may have him and the Miz win those tag team titles. I think they might do they might you know, have that. Just the little things of like a house show or pre-show raw catering. And there's uh you know there's judgment day and then you look and you it's like what is that what is that little head behind the door in catering and there's our truth's head they've jumped all over this there's a new t-shirt out you know he tweeted i think yesterday or today it says the judgment day blah 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 then there's a piece of duct tape with our truth's name you know Dude, like the, is... they've added to the back of a jersey it's just phenomenal it, it has nothing to do with pro wrestling this is the entertainment aspect of it and it's amazing what he's what this guy can do just amazing he's a guy that just you want around all the time just because and he just said because you talk about a guy that's old he's old he, he, he said oh hey uh finn's gonna face gargano you know and finn said what what are you i'm not gonna face gargano and and he said oh okay hey i'm sorry finn's too chicken he doesn't want to face gargano you know he said Hey, I'm not chicken. It's just a stupid. It was stupid, but I. It makes me laugh just thinking about it. The way he did it, where, you know, when, when the heels always always tries to back out of a match. So then our truth just said, "Oh, hey, yeah, he's scared of Champa. You know, he, he's scared of him. He doesn't want to. I'm not scared of him." And and then Finn ends up losing to Champa, which is good. You know what? Yeah. Like we said, Gargano and Champa, they're on TV every week, and they're starting to stack wins, and. They're building this men's and women's tag division. You can feel the the building of it right now in, in matches like this and what they're doing with Chance and Carter. And we'll talk about them in a second. I guess we could talk about them right now. That women's tag match was really good. Yeah. I thought well, it was great. It was. It's, uh, again, what, what you're just able to do to build hills, 
build faces the right way in a women's SAG division. I've said it week in and week out, Gino, with these women WWE women's tag team titles. We haven't been able to take them very seriously. We thought we were with uh, with Naomi and Sasha Banks. That really went off the hills. And you talk yep. about somebody we needed to be saved, and, and we were. We got it, and now these matches mean things now. We're seeing one-on-ones that are good. We're seeing tag team titles that are good. Chelsea said she's leaving the WWE if she doesn't win. Just great character work by everyone and great in-wing work. And now you're actually getting stuff from the WWE universe when these ladies are in the ring tearing the house down instead of it just being a Becky Lynch or a Bianca. Now we're getting to see others that can really wrestle and perform and we're appreciating it more just for the simple fact of you're building good storylines, faces and heels. This was very good. It's going to be a nice year for Chelsea. Chance and Carter look good as a team together. They just show Mormon up in the back and working on some of their tandem moves. Excellent stuff. And as the women's division continues to look strong, Nia Jax cuts a promo. She gets interrupted by Rhea Ripley. And they tease this match, which would obviously be a heel Nia versus a babyface Rhea. And the two of them in the ring together, you could feel a big match. And this is something that could be done at Perth, Australia, where Rhea's the babyface in that match. This could be something that they do at WrestleMania. Yeah, this this is, is, uh, you know, we had uh, Nia and Becky earlier in the night uh, again. Uh, in, in the back, talk about this is not the end of the. I thought the of, promo of from of Becky was fantastic line. too. Yeah, she did exactly what is... you're supposed to do as a babyface when you lose. She said, "I lost, but you didn't kill me. I'm still here. Right. I'm still fighting. Our, we're not done. This is not the end, and I'm coming back." Boom. Yeah. You don't. I'm gonna act get like up, never dust happened. myself up. Boom. Yep. In real and life, now, right, Gino? What you would it, say in real life? And Naya. They did a, they've, Naya's looked strong as hell. She gets a clean win over Becky and she's either going to be one of the last in the rumble. I, I'm not even, I would not even be shocked if she wins the rumble. I really wouldn't. Sure. I, I, sure. I'm yeah, really, yeah. really impressed with what they're doing with the women's divisions right now, especially on raw. Yeah. This would be a great match. Uh, I, I could see it doing out of the States where, where Rhea is the more, because she's from Australia, right? Face, yeah, yeah. This that that has written that written all over it. So good choice there, yeah, for sure. And uh, Kaiser, Kaiser is kind of teasing a little bit of a singles run here. He is, dude. There's some of these guys that you don't realize how cut up they are. Guys like Kaiser or yeah. Gable, you know, until you see them and it's like, oh my god, look at how the shape that he's in. So keep an eye on Kaiser because they're obviously high on him. And Nakamura, I feel so bad for him because he it, it's almost like him and Drew are in the same place because this is the best version of Nakamura we've ever seen, but he's not he can't be getting wins over Cody or Seth yet. I think I've mentioned this before. I feel like Ricochet is going to show up Soon. and yeah, and either eliminate Nakamura from the Rumble and maybe we could get a Ricochet Nakamura match. That could be maybe Nakamura now is far enough up on the card to where they could have a singles match at Mania and he could help elevate Ricochet a little bit because that would be that well, would be good, you know? Yeah, because that that Shinsuke Cody match uh, is, <laughs> was was amazing. But good call on, on Ricochet. Um, I, th- th- what was this? A double DQ or double is double count out, right? With Kofi. 
um, yep. Yep. in Kaiser. Yep. I like the ending of it, the way it ended. Um, there's there's something to be told there. And again, I think these are layers to that Royal Rumble match. You're going to have, instead of the same old three or four guys, we always handicap and put at the end of winning the Royal Rumble match, right, Gino? I think you're going to have a dozen or so that we could say could possibly win this match. And Seth Rollins has his next challenger. It's Jinder Mahal. These two were... The first two that wrestled for the original NXT championship. They've so they have a long-term storyline from years back. Jinder is a former world champion. Jinder came out last week and was in a segment with The Rock that has been seen billions of times all over the place. And this is something that they've done at the Royal Rumble for a long period of time because the Royal Rumble, the event sells itself. You don't need to have necessarily a five-star world title match at the Rumble because the Rumble is already such a drawing point. And I have no problem with Jinder Mahal being inserted into this match, but Tony Khan sure did because he <laughs> let everybody he let everybody know about it. And I was thinking about this because I, I heard somebody mention in this sense. Could you imagine Triple H commenting on an Ethan Page versus MJF match. I mean, like honestly, could you even yeah. could you even imagine it? Could you even imagine Triple H tweeting about well, Ethan Page hasn't won matches and he got a match against I, I'm not saying that that actually happened, but in my head, I can't even comprehend it. And for Vince is a bad dude. I'm not going to try to defend Vince. He's done a lot of shady <laughs> stuff, right? He's not, like, I will not defend him. But the one thing Vince was always smart enough, either him or the people around him, he's never gotten on social media and been Vince and let loose, gone after people, yelled and screamed, puffed his chest out. He's not, he's got too much going on to be sitting there interacting with trolls on social media or trying to get into Twitter beefs. And I just cannot believe at this point Somebody has not told Tony Khan, hey, dude, stop, stop. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know who it would be at this juncture since it, it's him and everyone else. Um, look, I get the fire and the spunk. It's hard. It's really, really hard to sit back and take shots from people. Just imagine the shots that you get, Gino, when you handicap a horse race. Oh, or yeah. You handicap. Uh, uh, an NBA game or an NFL game and people are waiting for you to lose so they could say, I, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Now magnify this times millions. These people own sports teams, the Jacksonville Jaguars. What in the world of all the trolls on social media, you and I both can agree that pro wrestling, the internet wrestling, uh, community the iwc is the absolute worst maybe not as bad as the swifties maybe because once they get on you it's like yeah there it's over okay yeah but what 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 are we what are you doing man what would just what are you doing it's just stop there's focus on your in-house stuff and move on the more let other people do that for you other people should doing that for you the guys on your roster the gals on your roster other people the like your like hardcore fans let them defend you even if you're a million percent right 
it does not come off well at all that you that you lower yourself to that. It just come on, man. You're better than that. You don't need to be sitting there. And and honestly, the two people I feel bad for were Jinder and Hook. They just caught a bunch of strays. You know? Like, oh, what yeah. the hell did Jinder yeah. or Hook do? Nothing. But because Tony Khan comes in here and he goes, Jinder hasn't won a match in a year. Jinder shouldn't be a champ or in a, in a championship match. But Hook, Hook is 28 and 1. And then what ends up happening, everybody starts saying, Dude, you don't treat Hook like what are you talking about? Hook has who's one actual guy that's a, a big deal that we've seen Hook wrestle against? Nobody. Hook was actually a big deal a year and a half ago, and you did nothing with him. So now you're supposed to make me believe that Hook is a total world title contender. And as we're we, you know, we finish up with Raw and we talked about the Nakamura Cody match that Cody wins. We can talk a little bit about the, the poor guy, the poor time, and the poor timekeeper got this. Oh, got he got mess. it right in the face. And I love how right Cody's got to go over bro. and check on him, right? That's like yes. Cody's a good yeah. dude. It was and that's, so Cody Rhodes, right? That is, that is. And we'll uh, we'll talk AW now since we already are, and we'll finish with NXT. But I, I don't understand why at this point. He has to do this, and Tony is getting any of that good energy and good vibe that people had for AEW when they started. A lot of it's eroding right now, and the the exact he lost the head of merch. He lost QT Marshall. There were two other people that were big time executives that are not there. Um, No, Cody he was at one point. Omega's banged up. Who knows what's going on with the Bucks? Their wife, one of their wife, who was the head of merchandise, she left. I I don't know how happy they are with everything. It just doesn't feel like backstage things are going great. And then you've got your billionaire company owner getting in fights with the USA Network Twitter account <laughs> that is run by just a random person. Like it, he's not fighting with Triple H. He's fighting. I, I do the DRF Twitter account right now. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> he's, it's a so he's fighting Gino. Buku. He's fighting Gino. You know what I mean? Like, I actually I love that whoever was doing the USA account is a big enough wrestling fan to take that shot at Tony about the cage match ratings. You know? Yeah. yeah. But, but dude, what we've some, seen over the last couple of years, though, like Wendy's. Burger King. They're great. Several of these. Uh, this is a Wendy's, just sir. Been phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has just been phenomenal. So, okay, as as we transition into AEW, um, the one thing that I was excited about was this returning to Daly's place. Um, it's wonky. It's a weird setup. It was cool. That's how it I looked re- cool. That's how I remember AEW when Me it too. started, right? Because that's it's- what they were doing. So I liked it. And I was excited for it, and I thought the presentation of AEW back for Homecoming, right? I felt this is more AEW-ish production-wise than what we've been seeing in the smaller arenas over the last couple of years. The look and the vibe. I will say that was good. Yes. You, I, I you could feel it. the cold outdoors. It's different. With it, yes, it's different. You see people with jackets on on the front row, some of the wrestlers with the frost, and then you get a Ric Flair chop to the chest. That red print stays there, and you can just see it. I just like the presentation of this being there than opposed to going to arenas and trying to fill it up. It just 
this is what the difference felt to me. Now, as we got into the show, I, I got really, really frustrated. But the presentation of it, I was all for it. Me too. And and there were a few things that I, I, I kind of walked back a couple things that I was thinking about because I tried to remind myself they were sort of doing a Brody tribute show as well. And sometimes those tribute shows can be a little hard when you're with your storylines because they don't match right. with them, you know? So, sure. so that was my issue with a few things where you're like, oh, why did they do this? Oh, okay. Well, they, it was, they were letting that guy get the win for Brody or they were, they were, that was a, a Brody thing. But um, right off the bat, we had Paige get the win over Claudio. Good matches you'd expect from these two guys uh, beat each other up 18 minutes. And and then we do see Paige later on in the night. Paige and Swerve both interrupt Joe. And this was something that I could feel, and I was just thinking about it when we were talking about Hook. So you've got Swerve come out, comes out, interrupts Joe, and Joe's cutting his, his promo now as the new world champ. And everybody goes, ooh, Swerve and Joe. And then Hangman comes out and interrupts them. So we're feeling like these three guys are going to be involved. Hangman's a former world champ. Joe's your current world champ. And Swerve is the hottest, most over guy in the company that everyone wants to be the world champ. And then Hook comes out. And it just did not feel like he was on the level of the other three guys at all. At all. What what, what really was interesting was Shivani, oh, he's 28 and one or 26 and one. And records matter and you know and excalibur is given his two cents and then in comes taz his father oh he's not scared of anyone not and he gets in the ring and he goes straight head to head and he's so much more smaller than samoa joe hey look i'm for new challengers but it just felt not even in the same ballpark what is this even half the people don't even know what this ftw championship really is and, and and why would you do why would you do this to Samoa Joe? You know, look, going back to the first, uh, the Claudio Hangman match, great. You know, Cla- poor Claudio. You know, uh, this guy was treated quote unquote wrongly in the WWE, so he left. Breath of fresh air. He joins a new faction, and what happens? He loses to Hangman. Okay, fine, but don't tell me that Claudio uh, has been mistreated by WWE anymore. Right. Claudio got a WrestleMania win over Seth Rollins. He was in a title feud with Roman Reigns before he left. This guy has had one significant win since coming to AEW, and it was the pay-per-view that he won in his debut. Okay, good match, though. Uh, I I don't know what we're doing here. I don't. I I don't know what we're doing, and I think they're going to find out that they're doing this the wrong way, and this Samoa Joe championship run is not going to be very good. It did not start off good. What have I said, Gino? What do we say on here all the time? What are you going to do after the, the win, right? Run with it. Yep. And, and this is a bad start for Samoa Joe. I didn't like and it. Because Swerve and Hangman is a fine start, but then you're pushing them down because you got a match with Hook next week. And now both WWE and AEW are going to dig their heels in stubbornly. <laughs> They're going to try to make Hook look magical in that match. They're going to do the same thing with Jinder. Sure. You know, next Gender, week, too, where yeah. they're going to try to have a 15, 20-minute really good oh, yeah. match, which I, that's fine. They should, but I, you can feel it here. Uh, we just had an eight-man tag match to get um, a win for some of the Dark Order guys. Mainly, this was for Preston Vance to get the win. 
Um, but it just was random, and it's a bummer that you have it Adam was. Copeland in the mix here. You know, like he's yeah. just sort of randomly. It's just so bizarre, so bizarre. I, I, I just, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it. But if he's happy, good for him. We, I don't like all of a sudden. Sammy Guevara babyface just getting a win over Ricky Starks. To me, that's weird. Oh, brother. Like, yes. what was it? was just bizarre. Okay. And, and then, then, and then, and then <laughs> the best part. Jesus. The best part. So Big Bill comes okay. out and he, and he's beaten up, uh, he's beaten up Sammy. And so Jericho comes out to make the save. But the last couple weeks when Jericho's been out, They've been booing him and chanting NDA and, and other things. <laughs> at him. And he's supposed to be a good guy. So think if this is a character that you wrote in a movie or a TV show, and this guy is supposed to be getting cheered and you boo him, it doesn't make sense. The character doesn't work. The stories don't work. So they just play his music the whole time he's out. <laughs> this was, this was, Bizarre. and I heard it on, I think it was the Wade Keller show last night. Somebody said that this right here was a Vince McMahon 101 thing. This is, hey, I'm, I want this character to be received this way, and we're going to shove it down your throat no matter what. And if you want to boo him, we're just going to turn your microphones down, and we're not going <laughs> to let you do that. And this was the that's, opposite that's... of turning the mic down, just turn the music up, and Jericho was doing the, I'm back, baby. You know, like he's trying to get people to cheer and stuff. It's, ah, man, this was. This is just, not, it, just read the room. I know. You know, this, just read the but, room. But the problem they're in, and I can understand from Tony Khan's perspective right now, you just lost CM Punk, he's gone. MJF's not around right now. You have to sell that MJF's out for a few weeks, at least for the story. Kenny Omega just got hurt. Brian Danielson isn't around. You are missing a ton of star power. You feel like you need a guy like Jericho on your show, but not right now. Not the way that the 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 vibe is about him. And I don't know what happened with any of this stuff, but I do know that it's kind of damning that Jericho hasn't said anything at all. And that's that all. Guy, that's all you need to know. That's right? all you need to know. That guy he's never got a mouth shuts on up. He never yeah. shuts up about anything no. or anyone. And that's why I've always liked. And that's why I've always liked Jericho. Me too. I, I, I'm first admitted. I've told you, Gino, numerous times. He's on my top five, top ten. Absolutely, list of dude. I love it. Wrestlers. He fought Goldberg in the back. You know what I mean? He's not afraid. Or Lesnar, yeah. or those guys. He'll go right after him. He'll tell you right how it is. And he's always now. Apparently, uh, apparently, he's been knocked out on his own cruise by MVP. Right. Uh, those reports came out, and then yeah. He, he, uh, on his latest Jericho podcast, it's titled Sky Blue is Really Hot. Uh, dude, just read the room. Just read. Look, it, so you and I both know, I think, Cody walking away really, really put them in a bad spot. Now do you see why, how bad of booking they did with Cody Rhodes in the beginning of AEW? You nailed it. You, you, were, you were one of the first people, as we talked early AEW, say, if Cody loses this match where he can never never try to achieve the AEW World Heavyweight Championship ever again, it's over. And it was over before it even started. That was like giving him the Stardust character back. Okay? And then the rash of injuries, 
and as you just mentioned, all these people are gone, but guess who's back, Gino? The Bucks. They're going <laughs> to save the day. And, and we'll get to them in just a second. Our last two, I, I will say uh, one thing I liked, it didn't really do much because it they don't show them enough. I thought the women's tag was pretty good. I thought that the women yeah. actually felt, oh, like we're we're getting a spot. We're going to go and, and really wrestle well and go all out right now. I thought they did that. I just, okay, let's let's build on them because we got nothing about Deanna Perrazzo this week. We just got a little something that she's going to wrestle next on Collision. So after uh, feeling like she was a big deal last week, all of a sudden we don't even see her here. Well, we got a little backstage segment, right? That's Not something. very long with, with Red Velvet. And the one thing you and I both said last week, we both said it. Don't make the mistake of having us. And I know you're trying to get ratings for Collision. I know it. But you're look, you're not. Now you're going up against the NFL wildcard playoffs. Okay? It's not going to work. Focus on your Wednesday show. Don't make me have to chase channels and days to find Deanna Perrazzo work. And that's what you're doing against Red Velvet. I don't care who she's working. I, you know she's going to go over and it's going to be, you know, Deanna's going to do her thing. I, I, you know, I will say this. I will say this. I thought when Maria May went back to talk to Tony Storm and she said, hey, would you see my match? And Tony's kind of like fluffing it around. And she said, well, did you did you see who the newest uh, acquisition is for AEW? And she's talking about Deanna Perrazzo. And Tony goes, was it Randy Richter? You know, I, I just that think was... it, it, it's it's just a fantastic, a fantastic uh, character, character work that Tony's doing, but man, I think we're going down this Deanna versus Tony Storm road here relatively quick, and, and we know a, how that's ended up in the past. I know, and it's weird because you want Deanna; she's a baby face, but Tony yes. is not being booked like a heel. You know, it's it's a little confusing. Just be the, careful. I'm. I don't did. I felt like. I was watching repeat for this next segment. Did Adam Cole say anything different than what he said last week? I mean, was it the exact same? It was the promo? exact same. Pro- even the A E the AEW purists said that the exact same thing. There was nothing different about it, and it wasn't. It's not heel enough or or evil enough for Adam Cole. He should be. I give. I want to give Wade Keller credit for this because he said he should be saying things like. Oh my God, how did you guys believe me? I was tricking all of you for months. I'm the best actor in the world. I wasn't even acting that well. Can you believe, he should be rubbing it in our faces that anyone believed him and anything. Instead, it's just, yep, heel 101, very generic heel. Here's my guy, Roderick is gonna be Dean Malenko. All of a sudden, Roderick now has no personality. (laughs) Like he, he went from being too over the top to now you stripped With him of everything. Brace and, yeah, yeah. He was Warlow working doesn't gimmick. say a word. He's just standing in the background. Ah, why that's Mason hell, Ryan. What, that's why, Mason didn't, Ryan. why didn't Wardlow walk down to the ring when Swerve and Hangman Page did? Those guys walked down to interrupt Samoa Joe because they want the title. Why didn't Wardlow do that? What What's he waiting for? Give me any – it just doesn't make sense. They've done a horrible job with this main event storyline after yeah. it was on our TV for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And 
I don't I don't know if they're going to be able to fix it because the way you would fix it would be Adam Cole versus MJF. You can't have that match. Both of them are hurt. Yes, hurt. So what do you think? Cole's hurt, and who knows what MJF? We know he's hurt. He's hurt. So yeah, I don't. We finish up AEW Coop Sting and Darby in a tag match versus Hobbs and Takeshita. First off, you don't need to have. Takeshita and Hobbs in a match like this Because these are guys that you're trying to build up They shouldn't be losing to Sting I'm sorry, I'm sorry Why is Hobbs getting pinned? And and Takeshita, who you've made look like A big heel, he's beat Omega a few times And now these guys are losing to Sting Why? It Why are they losing to sense. Sting? I don't understand, it makes no sense to me And the next thing We Have Sting Who has his final match Set up in March, they're selling great tickets for it. A lot of people are excited. There seems to be real genuine buzz about seeing Sting's final match. If he makes it, what the <laughs> hell are you doing on this show? He takes a back body drop, like he takes a backdrop where he can't even see the table. He misses the table. Why is somebody letting him do this and not say, hey, let's wait? And we can do some big spots in the final match in March. You know, let's just. And I wait. don't. I don't care if he says I'm doing this. No, you you're tell not. him no. You're not that's, doing it, dude. That's what WWE it. did. They saved Brian Danielson from hurting himself. They saved Adam Copeland and a lot of these guys and gals. How Sting is doing this? Why is Darby not taking that bump? You've got him there. <laughs> he takes every bump. In the world, no demand, and then you've got Sting doing this. And what I heard somebody mention too, Chad, what's so weird about this? This wasn't Sting's gimmick. This has not been a thing. This was Sting didn't do this in WCW. Sting didn't do this in as the Crow Sting. He didn't do this as the Surfer gimmick Sting. He didn't do this in the Surfer gimmick. He didn't do this at Showtime Sting as the Joker. He did not do this in ah. WWE when he came to WWE. So now why is he Mick Foley? Like, I don't I, get it. Yeah, me neither. It, it's scary. It, it, he doesn't need it to is. do it. It's, it's, it's scary. No. He doesn't I don't need to do it at all. And, man, Darby took a nasty bump where his neck got caught up underneath. They, they threw him across, you know, from pillar to post in the middle of the ring. And it's just like. I, it just felt like you talk about shows that, and look, we talk about WWE that have mailed in shows, especially on or around holidays or the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals or something, the Westminster dog show, whatever. You talk about mail in shows. This is the not the time to mail in any type of shows, my friend. And this felt, it just felt mailed in. It, it just didn't go together. It wasn't right. It, it, there, there was some decent wrestling and some good parts, but Hobbs getting pinned, there's no reason for that. Um, if you don't have anyone else to work, Sting and Darby. So now we've, for two months, we've got all of a sudden the Young Bucks are back. And I will say, it made me laugh the way that they look with those mustaches. They're yeah, so, yeah. they look so cornball. You know, like, it, like, Someone in a high school play that's trying to be a villain. 
it looked so you know like it, it like hey i'm gonna tie this girl to the railroad tracks you know like they Ooh, look like an old funny. like a really old school version of what should be a bad guy because they grew mustaches yeah. and, so, and then the mustaches they, don't fully grow no, through either and that even drives you even more wild oh you know you're in I, high school I, and you're in this, you're like, I'm in 10th grade, right? And I've got a little facial hair. You look over and the guy sitting next to you, he's got to shave like twice a day. And you've got this little fuzz that's growing in and you're combing it, right? That's what it reminds me of. You're right. <laughs> I think, I think I actually mentioned them a while ago. And, and I'm, this is one thing where <sighs> I'm going to let this, I'm going to give this a little time before I get hard on it. Because okay, I actually, fair enough. Well, because I actually think I was trying to think of who who it should be first thing, who they should face. Yeah, and there's not there's not a whole lot there. You're not because there's not there's nobody that was a, a rival of Sting that's still wrestling right now. You know what I mean? You're not bringing anyone else from Sting's era to wrestle a match against him. Ric Flair couldn't even get out of the ring. They got him in the oh, ring, poor, poor guy, guy, and he's in there doing some chops. And he's, it takes him 15 minutes to get through the ropes and back out the ring. And I'm not making fun of him. I'm saying it. I don't need to see that on my TV. I don't need to because I, I don't want to remember that of Ric Flair. I don't want to remember him bending down through the ropes and and barely able to, to get up and down. the. I don't want to remember that. I want to remember, woo! You know, I want to remember like, <laughs> wheeling and dealing and I'll kiss them all. And I want to remember him and Jay Lethal. Like that, I want to remember that yeah. being old flair, that part. But yeah, I, agree. I, um, I, I think that the Bucks, what they can do is they'll take care of Sting. They're good in ring, you know, so they, and, and they will bump around for them. They, it, it won't yes. have to be the opposite way. The Bucks will do all the silly, crazy, over-the-top bumping. And Sting won't have to do as much in that match to get it over. And I actually think that for a team like Sting, that match, Sting should win. Because 100%. I don't think, He's got to go think, over. Sting is not in a, pl- a place right now to where, like, he is in need to put anyone over. If, if he was wrestling Darby one-on-one, 100%. Darby That's one thing, one thing. Darby sure. wins. I agree. If you're just doing a a fun match that you're building around, I actually think the Bucks are a perfect team to have a good match with them and then lose, and it won't hurt the Bucks at all. Okay, yeah. fair enough. I see so, your point. I, I I don't mind it. Now I want they need because they don't we, need to be put over. No, not at all. Now we need <clears throat> some story, and I want the Bucks to actually act like evil heels. I want them to. And be, I want them to care. Me too. I don't want them to be jovial about it 24-7. They can't come out here and be acting like they're playing a bad guy. I want them to say, hey, things have changed around here. You know what? We came in. We thought this company was going to be this way. It's not. Screw all of you. We're going to show you that we're the best, and we're going to do it first and retire Sting. You know? Yeah, we're going to. I love that. Now, I'm on board if that happens. Me too. That's what I'm hoping. So I'm going to give them the chance to do that. Coop. I know we're going to finish up right now. So next week, uh-huh. let's uh, let's double up a little bit more on things that we may have missed on NXT. But I do want to mention. Sure. It, sure. It, wasn't, <laughs> it, it could have been. They didn't go all in with it. But, man, the, the segments with Tiffany and Fallon at the horse farm doing the mucking of the stalls. You can't help but not laugh. And uh, both of those girls are stars. I think both both Fallon and Tiffany. Yeah. Could be really big stars on the main roster. 
man, I, we were both looking forward to these segments. We, you know, we thought, well, there's some people that couldn't believe that Tiffany didn't go over. No, this is what you want your heel to do. It makes her even a bigger of a star that she has to go out there in her little pink gamut. And, uh, you know, it looks like she was in the backside of Delta Downs back there for a while. It did. Uh, I was, I was trying to figure out where she was. I kept looking around. I was like, where is, is this Florida? So are they this Tampa Downs? Tampa Bay? I know. Hialeah. Yeah. We're back at Churchill. <laughs> I, 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 I laughed and I went, wait a minute, have I seen that stall before? Wait a minute. This, this is yeah. it, oh. it was uh it's it's phenomenal. They're doing great work. And man, what about the ending, the booking ending of NXT on Tuesday night? Did that shock you? Seriously. This guy's OBS had what, two or three, four matches on TV, if that? And we got Oba Femi as your new NXT North American champion. This dude Same. looks like an absolute Wrecking ball, unstoppable. He's a powerhouse. He, I can't even. Um, he reminds me of just like a couple of characters in movies. You know, just the way he yeah, has this yeah. presence to where it's just this just unbeatable warrior. That's what he looks like. He looks like he's, and it's and it, a lot of it. Some of it has to do with you know NXT is a smaller setting, a lot of smaller, and he looks huge. But man, this guy, and right away he feels like. A massive star. This was a big, big deal for him. Oba Femi has shot himself up to the top of the card right away. They keep going with the Carmelo and Trick stuff. Those guys are going to be in the Dusty Roads Tag Team Classic, and that's currently happening right now. So with NXT building to their show a few weeks away, uh, there's going to be a Women's Battle Royal. I think that comes up next week to determine the number one contender for the women's title. And uh, we'll be building to the Royal Rumble We're going to have Darren and Andrew Join me and Chad for one of our Royal Rumble roundtables We'll go through that when we uh, A few days before the Rumble And and I'm I'm really excited But Coop, before we let yeah. you go I want to ask, NFL playoffs, the fields are set Do you have any thoughts on the games this Man. week Or anything that you like? Yeah, there's one that I'm really, really, really circled, and it's it's not a popular choice, but, uh, man, Philadelphia at Tampa Bay is very, very intriguing uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, the Eagles uh, have just, when they start the season, 10-1, and one, something ten like and one. that. 10-1. Um, and one. You know what their uh, over-under was? You talk 11 and a half. Oh, no. Could you no, imagine? No, was it really over under for the Eagles at eleven and a half? They're ten and one, and you're like, we got this, and they don't hit it. Hey, and, and that's and that's the leg. That's that's the leg you need for this massive parlay, right? And, yep. and it just you're you're just sitting there, and then Jalen hurts. Uh, he's hurt now. Look, Tampa Bay's beat up. They don't make it pretty. They know that. They won three or four games in a row, then lost two or three games in a row, then then have to win the AFC or NFC South title on the last game of the year in Carolina. It was like nine to nothing. It was just ugly. But, man, let me tell you, I, I just – I'm on this kid's bandwagon. I have been for – since his early days as a Texas high school football player, Baker Mayfield. The guy has just reinvented himself this year. They're not fancy. Their defense is, is, is not bad. I found two things that I like about this game, Gino. Uh, one – uh, Jalen Hurts is only in a short period of time as an NFL starting quarterback. He's only got one playoff loss, career road playoff game, excuse me, and that was at Tampa Bay a couple of years ago. Now we know who was quarterbacking for Tampa Bay, right? Tom Brady. But man, things are different now. 
And the one, I'm a trend guy. I tell you, I tell everyone that asks for my opinion or don't ask, I'm a trend guy. And I thought this was too big for me to pass up this week. Any NFL home underdog during the wild card round, Gino, if they are playing with the same season revenge, which means they've played the same team earlier the year and lost, lost. which they did. The Eagles, I think it was week three is like when the Eagles were really good and they were playing well. And these teams have both flipped since then. The Tampa's won five out of six. The Eagles have lost five out of six. Well, any NFL home underdog in the wild card round who's playing in the same season revenge, nine, one, and one against the spread. And now that line is up to plus three in some of these books. I'm all over it. I'm going to take the three points. I'm also going to take Tampa Bay as an upset win. That's the one I'm really focused on. There's a lot of interesting others. I know Cleveland and Houston is going to be interesting because, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud is back. I think that's that's the Watson trade. Those are the Watson yeah, trade teams, and, too. There's some look, fun storylines. Dude, Cleveland just blew the doors off of them like three weeks ago, but Davis Mills and Case Keenum were alternating quarterbacks. I think Houston's going to be fired up. I th- I don't know if Me Houston too. wins. I think, it's a, I think it's a heartbreaking loss for them at the end. Um, but I'll tell you what, um, you know, their offensive coordinator, um, he's getting now getting looked at to have job offers. What D'Amico Ryan's and I remember you and I talking about this in August. We were talking about early win totals from football teams. We had no idea what C.J. Stroud was going to do. But you and I both agreed the Houston Texans can't be as bad as they were last year. And if you don't take their over wins, something's wrong. Because you and I both thought that Jacksonville were frauds. Now, week 11, they really weren't. Or week ten they weren't because they were going into week eleven. What eight and three? We thought okay, and they were tied selling. for the number one seed. If they beat Baltimore, they, they would have been the number one tickets. seed. Yeah, they were selling playoff tickets at eight and three, so they were fraudulent. We saw what happened with Tennessee. Um, the Colts were good, but hey, Houston, what a win last week. This is going to be one of those games. It won't be a blowout. If it is, it's because somebody is tanked and they're having to throw the ball every play, and somebody's ran a pick six or so. That game is going to it's going to be so red hot in Houston this weekend. It would not be surprised me if it would not surprise me at all if Cleveland or Houston somebody's lining up to kick a field goal with a couple seconds left on the clock. It's going to be that close. An exciting weekend of football coming up. Super wild card weekend. So we look forward to uh watching all these games on Saturday, Sunday and on Monday. Koopa Loop, thank you so much, buddy. Hope you have a fantastic you got it, bud. weekend. Good luck in the games. Enjoy yourself. We'll be back here next week. I hope you're feeling better also. I know you're a little under the weather last few days. Make sure to follow Coop at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Everyone will uh, will be back. We'll talk a little bit more about NXT because we shortchanged them a little this week. But we are getting close weeks away from the Royal Rumble. Make sure to tune in each and every week right here for This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper on That's What G Said Podcast. That's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. A big thank you to Koopaloo for helping us out with this week in wrestling. Thanks to Barry for helping us out with Saturday Golfstream. And Eric talking some NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. We will be back with much more next week. Tune in each and every week to That's What G Said.